to the bomb hole. Bomb hole podcast. It's going to be very hot. It's going to be very uncomfortable for everybody. <laughs> the bomb hole. slide down in big hills. You know what I mean? On the big, nice burgundy snowboard. All right, here we go. Another episode of the bomb hole, which is presented by Pub Beer. Now, first things first, always got to ask Tony Buds, how are we doing? So good, my dog. God, I love hearing that. Uh, to my left, we have Trevor Andrew in the booth. Trevor, how are we doing? What's good? I'm doing great. Thanks Man, for having me. We are so happy you made the trek out from LA. How was the flight? It was easy. It was mellow. Yeah. Quick little flight. Well, so for people that are unfamiliar with Trevor, uh, Trizza, Trouble, what have you, I'm going to do a little summary. I wrote a little summary for you, Trevor. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> so uh, Trevor was a pivotal snowboarder for our sport, a true innovator of style and progression. His gear, his tricks were ahead of the time, ahead of his time. Uh, we're talking big-ass headphones, bibs down, all that type of stuff. Big-ass McTwist. He then turned musician, known as Trouble Andrew, touring, making music. Now he's known making a living, creating art. Most notably, Gucci Ghost, which if you haven't seen it, you're living under a fucking rock for the designer, uh, for the brand Gucci. Uh, he is one of the biggest artists slash designers. I don't know if that's right, but uh, in the world, he's a rad dad. He's married to Santi Gold, and he has a style that is undeniably original, whether it's art, music, skateboarding, or snowboarding. So that's uh, Trevor. Oh, wow. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> now, let's get into it, dude. Nova Scotia, dude. Nova Scotia roots. Yep. What did your childhood look like over there? Yeah, so I yeah I grew up uh, in a small town in Nova Scotia, like in the country. Um, my mom worked at the local ski hill called uh, Martok. It's like three hundred vertical feet, and um, yeah, I was just uh, I think I was really lucky as a kid because I always had older people around me. It's like the few people that I was hanging out with. Like my mom would have older guys living at the house that are like uh that uh, it was kind of crazy because we're out in the country and and to have there wasn't many people skating there wasn't many people like into like punk rock and you know just but i had the few guys around that were like you know i had uh two dudes that lived in my house that that put me on over a period of time to like you know they bring me home like the dead kennedys tape and they would like you know, pick me up and go skateboarding and take me to the contest. And like, you know, so I just was really lucky. And then my mom worked at the ski hill in the winter and I was just, uh, getting exposed to a lot of stuff. I think skateboarding was like the window to art to me and just a way, a new way of really thinking. And, um, I was a little, I think turned off as a kid by like team sports. Cause I remember like a early formative memory was um i tried out for the soccer team and i was probably like seven or eight it wasn't like a serious thing but just the rejection i felt like when i didn't make the team and my mom tried to lie and said oh i put you in the wrong age category and like but i just but i knew she was just trying to cover up the fact that i didn't make the team and and i was just like what i can't play like that's not fun and then i saw my brother and his friends and he's old he's four years older than me and he was like skating at the school and they were just sessioning a curb and I was like, oh, I want to skate. That looks so fun. They're all encouraging each other and there's like no right way to do it and um, no wrong way to do it. And uh, and yeah, I guess through, you know, from like seven to like 
12, I had my brother and I had these older guys that were around that were like really um, sharing, you know, skating and, and just like a whole different uh, way of living life to me. And it really stuck hard. And then when I discovered snowboarding, I remember my mom coming home from like the ski hill with a, with a, a catalog and it had like black snow snowboards and um and I got one for Christmas and it was just like it was amazing you know but it was it was just like uh it just seems and the amount of freedom I was given as as a young kid to like go on the road with these dudes when they're like 10 years older than me and I'm you know 11 or whatever to go drive down to Maine to go to like Sunday River for a contest or like that type of stuff was really special that I had. It was almost like crazy. I think a lot of parents would be like, hell no, like I'm not letting my kids do that, you know? But I was lucky in the, in the guys that, that really, you know, they were really looking out for me as much as they were, you know, in some cases pretty wild out crazy dudes, but they always, you know, looked out for me. And, and um, yeah, and, and that I think really opened my mind to see the world differently and go after the things that I love to do, you know? That's incredible. Now, uh, interesting kind of footnote I'm, I noticed too is a lot of the greats uh, parents worked at ski resorts or spent a lot way, of time. Yeah. Now, I was wondering, <laughs> like, it almost seems like the ski resort becomes like your babysitter when you're a kid. Yeah, well, yeah, straight up because that's what, how it was. My mom was working and it was it was a night skiing, so she wouldn't get off till like ten o'clock. So after school, I would be at like I could walk, I take the bus, and then walk to the st- to the ski hill i mean it was pretty far it was a couple miles or whatever but like um so i was just there every day and it really was it was that and uh and i found my sense of community and i just um yeah that's all i could think about at school i couldn't like even stay focused and i was just always daydreaming about getting out there and doing that and that's just really what i did i ended up dropping out of uh high school and like grade nine or something and and just going after it, you know. Damn, grade nine. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, still don't have my GED, you know. Wow. <laughs> well, it seemed to work out yeah, pretty it good to work for out you. Just fine. Yeah. yeah. I was gonna ask if you like showed a proficiency for art in school, but you didn't even have a chance early on. Well, I think you know, even as a kid, I feel like my mom was an artist, and I mean, she she was doing different things. She was working at Skeel or. Uh, working at the flower shop or or um, going around selling antiques but I was with her and I think that that part of my life I've actually just recently realized how it affected me as an artist so much just all the folk art and things that I was being exposed to by going to these auctions and hanging out and I actually just found this documentary called folk art found me and it's these guys from Nova Scotia and and I'm like, damn, that looks so familiar. Oh, I know that guy. Like, oh, that's Chris. That's my mom's friend, you know? Like, and I was just really all around art. And she was really creative and she she um did a lot of like drawing and stuff. And and when I was a kid, even before I got into skating, like I think most of what I spent my time, I remember she would just get me these big rolls of paper and I would just be drawing. And and then once I discovered skateboarding. It was like I was either drawing or skateboarding. And then I kind of put it down a little bit um, once I really had a career in snowboarding. But then also, like, the design aspect came back to me because I was, like, 
writing for Burton and then, you know, developing my own clothes with analog or, or graphics. So it, it, it brought that imagination back into like just thinking of something and bringing it to life. And it, obviously on a different level there, but, um, that even I've learned from for what I do now, you know, wild evolution that we're going to, well, well, you should get into all of that. But, uh, while we're on the kind of early days, uh, we'll call it, I, I'm curious, like, how did you go from being, uh, you know, grade nine dropout, you're in Nova Scotia, which is extremely remote before cell phones and all that stuff. How'd you get sponsored? <laughs> um, I got sponsored, um, there's a local shop called Pro Skates and, uh, in Halifax. So I would go up there, you know, on the weekend sometimes. And, and those guys kind of, they were my first sponsor. Um, they would just give me like a discount or whatever. And, and that was huge to me and some stickers and stuff, you know, it was like, wow. Um, but then they introduced me to a guy named Jason O'Reilly, um, and Jason O'Reilly was the Burton, local Burton rep for the Maritimes. And he really took me under his wing and started bringing me around. And, you know, I got my first free board and went to nationals. And then, like, when Burton went to Newfoundland for the first, like, pro photo shoot over there in Newfoundland, it was, like, Brian Agucci and Rippy. And um, it was, like, say it was, for me, I, I think I was around 13 is when the uh, the the um, evil twin board was out, and um, I went. Actually, wasn't out. It was like when we just saw it for the first time, and I was over there. And I'm actually in that video uh, getting some. That was my first trip, my first shot. I'm like, you see Brian Gucci go around the rail, and I'm like in the background. I'm like, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> that was my first shot. <laughs> and you're 13. Yeah, that must have been sick. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and that's that's really how it started. Because then I just started um, competing locally and nationally and doing well, and that just started bringing me further. And then World Cup and you know the contest was really like my first out and my first chance to like shine, you know, and get attention. And that's what you know. A lot of people maybe don't know. Maybe they know you as an artist or trouble, but. You know, your your start was like a lot of competitive halfpipe riding. You know, yeah, back in the day, right? Yeah, yeah. Like it was, yeah. Started with like slope style and halfpipe because we didn't even have a halfpipe where at my local mountain. So the first contests were like slope style at Sunday River. Um, that was my first big win. Like I remember, I went down there and there was like Alva Wendell and like uh, uh, what's his name was there? I think too. Um, I can't remember, but it was... I think I know who you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, do I you can't. know Alva Wendell? Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, so, like, that was a big moment for me, and I was, yeah, just young. Um, yeah, around that... Maybe it was pre that Burton shoot. I can't remember. It was, like, 12, 13, something. Then I started, yeah, traveling out, doing nationals, junior worlds and stuff, and that's when I really started going hard in the half pipe and... Uh, um. Yeah, that was the, what really brought me around the world, man. Got just going to contests and, um, yeah. You know, How'd it's, you get so good at pipe without having one around you? Just when you travel, yeah, I would just pipe? show up and yeah. just like have to learn. Like I remember, I went to a World Cup, and that's what I've got. I just recently transferred all these tapes, and I found 
like me learning a McTwist at at this world world cup at Mont Saint Anne, and uh, yeah, I would just like pull up early and try to get some shit in. But I was like full like barrel rolling, like it wasn't. But yeah, I would just be get in there, and I was just so excited just to get to ride a pipe. So, and then yeah, I guess as the contest became more frequent, I just dialed in, you know. And and I grew up skating mini ramp. We, me and my friends used to build mini ramps, and and um, and I'd even compete a little bit skating like locally. And so I think I just definitely like transitions were fun for me. Yeah, natural, natural, natural. coming from a skateboard. Now, I got a question for you because I was talking to Anthony Vitality, Vitali, your mm-hmm. old, uh, he was a West Beach team manager at yeah. the time. And he was saying that back in the day when you were a kid, like you, you would send him letters and stuff. Yeah, he still got him. I was just <laughs> telling somebody that, um, yeah, I used to write Anthony because uh, West Beach was actually one of my first sponsors as well. I was on the like Burton kind of flow thing. I went out to do nationals in BC and Devin. Uh, was there and Roberta and I remember they like were like hey you know they saw me riding and I had these big like cut off jeans and they're like you gotta we want to get you on West Beach and I was like wow and um and so I did I got on West Beach and I remember like yeah I used to write Anthony and be like yeah I just learned like backside fives or like whatever and I would just be like (laughs) reporting in like but I was also really geeked on like being able to share on a creative level. Cause I was like immediately already like drawn new logos. I, the first design that I ever had manufactured was a, it was like a ripoff of like a popsicle Pete logo that I did for West beach and they made it. And like, that's kind of what was coming out of me like writing back and forth too. I'd be like, Oh, I got this t-shirt design. Like, you know, which is when I look back to that, I'm like, damn, I'm still doing that. Yeah, it's the first first step in your and design career. That's how, yeah. how old are you at this point? You think? Yeah, maybe like fourteen or thir- I don't know. So, that's crazy. Yeah. So that's another thing we should talk about too is in terms of style too, because I think you know early days of snowboarding it hadn't refined style and also style in the form of like clothing and fashion and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And I think like maybe JP and and uh, Jeremy Jones, maybe they get credit for a lot of this stuff but i feel like you are a huge part of you know the first person i saw wearing overalls or bibs and then then they were down so they yeah. were dangling yeah. and then big ass headphones and the uh-huh. oakley o frames or a frames yeah. or whatever they were above them and yeah. like launching mctwist and i'm just curious as like where that inspiration came from right yeah no i mean i was just trying to be christian ozoi you know <laughs> like <laughs> So I just had the suspenders down. Same with, like, Steve Cab, you know. Um, but, yeah, I guess just it came from everywhere. It came from, like, uh, definitely I think the root of everything that I was bringing to snowboarding and that energy definitely was stuff that I learned through skateboarding. And that was music. That was, like, just all that those moments that are like burned into my brain like when i watch you know like wheels of fire as a kid and like seeing you know christian and like um uh you know and then like the the early snowboard movies like new kids on the talk and um and like uh hhh maybe yeah yeah exactly exactly dale rayberg and um like roan rogers and 
that whole vibe. And then definitely, like, again, like, the music side of things, all of what I was listening to, because I've always just had, like, a real eclectic musical taste, you know, from, like, hip-hop, punk rock, um, post-punk. I mean, even now, like, I grew up listening to country, and I hated it, but now, like, in my older age, I'm like, oh, yeah, fuck with country, you know? (laughs) (laughs) That's so It's funny sometimes you're driving in the car, and you've always not been down with country, and you're like, I can understand why people like this. Yeah, oh, yeah, totally. (laughs) We happen to have a guest question from Russell Winfield, so you got to throw those headphones on to hear what he has to say. Sure. Here we go. Grandies, Stone. Trev, Russell Winfield here. Trev, I got a quick question for you, bud. Uh, what was it like being a Grom and growing up around uh, Sean Johnson and Sean Kearns, and how do you think that shaped or molded you into the human you are today? Thanks, fellas. Holler. Oh, rad. Yeah, we were, Russell was just over yesterday, and we were actually watching uh, Whiskey. Um, and I was telling him, yeah, man, I remember, like, riding around with uh, with um, Johnson and Kearns. And, like, it was kind of later. Like, they were, because, you know, we were I was with, rolling with, like, Duffacy. And, like, Johnson would be like, get out of the truck. You guys fight right now. You know, we'd be like, <laughs> what? <laughs> like, He's such a nice dude, too, Duffacy. Yeah. Really oh, my God, dude. But, uh, no, for the most part, like, uh, just seeing, I think that that, probably you know really affected me in a big positive way but and also just uh i think it was just natural they weren't the only dudes that i saw shit like that that was happening you know it was natural to and i was a little older by that point too but i definitely was like um really honored when i was asked to be part of like whiskey four or whatever it was you know and at that point, they were, like, real, you know, Johnson was real serious. He had his own brand, and and um, he was, like, uh, yeah, they're just, like, you know, it was wild. Like, the whiskey, I think growing up and seeing that from a distance, it's almost like it was a little almost frightening and intimidating in, in the beginning. But when I was, like, actually got to be in that world a little bit, it was still frightening and intimidating. <laughs> <laughs> but when Whiskey 4 come out, did you still have to break a bottle over your head? No, by then it was like, shit? yeah, it was, no. Nah. It was a little mellower. <laughs> it was super mellow. It was super mellow. Whiskey 1, though, was, that was a crazy A lot of yeah. boozing, a lot yeah. of mayhem, a lot yeah. of debauchery. Yeah, for sure. I definitely tried to break a bottle over my head, never pulled it. Yeah, that well, that's, the, yeah, it was like, Something I think we all did. Yeah, it's like, oh, no, did. you can, like, put a rock in it, and, yeah. and, and it'll break easier, you know? And then you just risk cutting your head open. <laughs> yeah, but I definitely still, like, watch that movie a lot. I mean, I watch, I probably watch that whole, always in my studio, I've got, like, multiple, like, VHS TVs that I, I've hoarded, like, snowboard and skate videos and just things that, and beyond that, but, like, I definitely go back and just the soundtracks and everything, mm-hmm. sub society and all this. That's where I was like, you know, hard, um, hard hung in the homeless was amazing. My first one was um, Snowboards in Exile. Yeah, that one was. I sick. got that for Christmas with uh, with Board with the World, and um, 
Yeah. I mean, to this day, I, I like definitely like I see how that influenced me and like uh, so deeply with with the music and just everything. I love how you brought up new kids on the talk too. Everyone brings up hard, hungry, and the homeless, but that one doesn't get the play that it deserves. Yeah, new kids what a on sick the name for a movie. Yeah, it's so good. <laughs> Such a good movie. You seen that one? I haven't seen it. No. Like oh, that it's one a, up. Yeah, that's a classic for sure. Chris Roach. And, uh, oh, he's a go Pocahontas too. That was a sick one. Yeah, for sure. How, Mount Hood movie only like that. It must have made it in one summer or whatever. Sick, sick movie though. All right, we're going to fire up a Patreon question for you. And this one is from Benny Pellegrino. I think he sends in one every week. Yeah, he's a. W- if he doesn't thank send you, one Benny. in, we should probably check in on yeah, him and make sure he's okay, okay right? if we don't get one. Yeah. Every week. Thank you, Benny. Um, what was one contest in your career that stands out for you where you feel you rode your best ever? And what was the standout move? Okay, yeah. Um, I would say the. The most important kind of defining moment for me in a contest was uh, it was Stockholm, Sweden, Super Session contest. It was like invitational only, like top 20, best of the best, like Peter Line, Daniel Frank, Igmar. Like it was it was heavy hitters only. And um, I was just like 17 and a nobody really that I didn't have an opportunity to get out and I was riding for Solomon at the time, and Ben Pruce called me and was like, oh, you got to come to this contest. Somebody got hurt. You got to pull up. And so I did, and uh, I ended up winning the contest. It was like $50,000, and like I did like a cab seven or something. And um, and that moment, yeah, it jumped everything off for me because it got me the attention and, and the support I needed to like live my life as a, as a pro snowboarder. And it's crazy how that one event like there was so many i actually just ran into colin mckay the other night and i hadn't seen him since that contest he was like the last time i saw you you had a fifty thousand dollar check in your hand (laughs) and you were like (laughs) it was crazy and like that night like uh ari macropolis photographer the walrus dreams um you know i met him uh, he was shooting for Burton and like he was at that contest and that contest when that happened, you know, fast forward like 15 years, I ran into him the night I'd lost touch with Ari, ran into him the night of it was Halloween 2012. I hadn't seen him in probably 15 years or something. And I'm skating around with John Summers and the ATL twins and we were in New York and I pulled up at this party. I just got back from the Philippines DJ, and I bought some bootleg Gucci fabric, cut eye holes in it. was like, I'm going to be Gucci ghost, and went out into New York, pulled up the party. Ari was there, and I was like, yo, Ari, Trev. And then we started hanging out in Brooklyn. Fast forward three years, he gets commissioned by Gucci to shoot their lookbook. He's like, oh, you ever hear my friend Trevor Andrew, Gucci ghost? Like, you, And then they were like, he showed them the stuff and then they called me like the next day, like, can you come to Rome and collaborate? So it was like crazy how that one night brought so much to my life. So that wasn't a very short answer to it, but it, it, that was definitely a defining moment, you know? Yeah. That's an important night. That's wild. I didn't realize that about Ari, that whole connection. Cause yeah. it might've never happened with Gucci. Had exactly. you not met him and yeah, that's really done cool. well at that contest. $50,000 to it. Well, that, that must have been wild. Yeah, that was insane. Like going back to Nova Scotia and like being like, 
I'm dropping out of school. Okay, let's go. To, Mom, take me to the to the mall. I want to buy a Gucci watch. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Legit, like I did that. Were it teachers was, hating on you? In the yeah, I, I remember a teacher telling me like, "You're not gonna be shit. You're you know? never gonna amount to anything." Yeah, basically, like, what are you doing? And I'm sure my mom was hearing it. Like, well, you're gonna let your son just drop out of school and. Um, your mom believed in you though, huh? Yeah, she believed in me. That's and cool. she was like and that's I mean, to be able to believe in yourself is such a, a huge thing and such a, a challenge for most people and to have people around you that believe, you know, my mom, the older guys that were around, like that allowed me to kind of approach everything in my life that way where I'm like, Yeah, no, I, I believe this. I know I'm right, you know. Yeah. And then follow through with it. Follow through, you know? Because I feel like if I told my mom I wanted to get drop out of school, they'd call the police or something in the States. They don't really let you do that in ninth right. grade. Shout yeah. out to those supportive yeah. parents, though. Yeah. That's crazy. That's yeah. dope. Uh, we got another guest question from Mikey Rents. So you got to throw those headphones on again. Here we go. What's up, Bombhole? What's up, Trev? Hope you guys are having a good time in the booth. Uh, my question for Trev is just from watching all the – Indoor arena, quarter pipe contest, big prize money events. I'm just curious if Trev could maybe ballpark a little estimate of what he thinks his McTwist earned him in prize money. <laughs> That's a great question right there. Oh, um, dang. Yeah, the McTwist did well for me. It's kind of like <laughs> repeat, repeat. It's like doing G's, you know? Uh I would have to say, Mikey, um, dang. Well, it's close to an M, man. Close to an M. Damn, <laughs> son. <laughs> <laughs> That's good money. That's now, big twist we, is really coming we, we through. We were just talking about this. This is a debate we have on the show. And uh, basically, you know, I want to know, like, at what age the oldest human is going to be capable of doing a McTwist and who that human is going to be. Who he's going to be. And I think, like, you know, the names in the hat, it's, like, Todd Richards, Turier, yourself. Yeah, he just dusted one off this season. He just did season. one last year. Yeah. At what age do you think you're going to be able to McTwist, though? Well, I hadn't done one in, like, 15 years, and to go back and do one when I did recently, it just... It was like nothing. Was it know? in a quarter pipe? Yeah, it was it was a pretty decent sized quarter pipe in the backcountry. Wow. And uh it was yeah, it's just all it's all there as long as it like man, I I I'm definitely a contender, you know. Sick. Is you know, like I could definitely see me pulling off a McTwist into my shoot, man, eighties. So let's see, it's twenty twenty two right now. In forty years. Forty years. So that'll be twenty sixty two. Wow. Twenty sixty two. We'll have to get like you, Terrier. We'll have to get um yeah. I don't know who else. Todd's a bit older you than You know, him, Jeremy's so. got a good McTwist. Jeremy Jones. What up? Maybe yeah. Kier. Kier could probably serve one up. Um Jeremy yeah. might try to do one off a tree or something though. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Which it, still works. I think that's still... J.P. Yeah. Walker, too, actually. He is actually a sleeper. He did McTwisted. one this season. Dude, Danny Davis. Oh, yeah, Danny Davis. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of people, I bet. Danny Davis has got a real nice McTwist. 2062, we'll have to make we'll this happen. Have to make a little <laughs> challenge. <laughs> put, it, put it in your calendar now, Trevor. I know you're busy. Yeah. You're pretty yeah. fucking busy put it in there now, maybe it'll happen. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm with it. Now, I got another... I'm kind of curious about this on a personal level. Like, to, I feel like to be good at something, you have to be obsessed and you seem like a fucking <laughs> obsessed person whether yeah. it's like art music mctwist whatever the fuck it is like what percent 
of your brain is like consumed by snowboarding when you were just snowboarding? Like that, it's kind of a weird question, but yeah, I, I think that it, it, no, it's not. I mean, being obsessed is definitely a big part of it. Like in, um, I think that everything that I've done in my life, whether it's snowboarding, um, skateboarding, music, design, art, all these things, like the reason why I can do them well is because I obsess and I really go in and I really actually love it so much. And like, I think to be great at something or successful at something, you have to really truly love it as kind of corny as that sounds. It's just, it's real, man. Like, cause if you're losing track of time, like you, you know, you're going in the right direction, you know? And it's like anything that I've lost track of time at doing that I just love doing, I pursued, you know, I'm like, this is worth my time. You know, if I can lose time doing it, like it's worth it because if you're doing something that you're not so that like the days are real slow and it's, you know, it, it's not bringing you joy. It's probably not the thing for you. There's definitely something out there that is for you that will, you know, make you happy and you'll lose it, the track of time. And, and, but yeah, being, I think it's natural to obsess on those things that you love that much, you know? Makes sense. Now, now in inversely, I have another kind of question is I feel as though I'm a person that obsesses a lot as well. And other areas of my life have actually not benefited. It's been bad because you get too, too obsessed with something and you lose your balance. Do you ever feel like you get overly obsessed and other areas of your life fall short? And have you been able to find balance? Mm. Yeah, I think that uh, the balance part is, I think, just naturally the way that I've been. Well, for snowboarding, for example, like when I felt it wasn't, I could have kept going and kept trying to do another video part or do another contest. But when it didn't feel like something that I was truly like loving in that moment or I was like, I or it wasn't necessarily that I wasn't loving it. Maybe there was just something that was there that I'm like, I'm really excited about this, like music. When I got had my first injuries or first real ones that put me out for some time and I discovered the music, it was like when I came back to snowboarding, I wasn't as... Because there was something else there that was making me so much more excited that like it kind of naturally, I just stepped away from it and had the courage to do that and go, you know what, I'm just going to do this, even though it wasn't, you know, proven that I could make a career doing it. It's just like, you know what, I, I'm willing to take the risk because this is making me feel right right now. And, and you know, from music, I've had the same thing where I kind of bounce around from things. And I remember there was a moment, even with the music, where I started doing more film stuff. And I'm like, yo, I want to do, you know, I was shooting, like, videos for Zoe Kravitz's band called Lola Wolf. And I was like... That was the first time I was stepping away from my own stuff and I was like adding a visual or an artistic aesthetic to somebody else's work. And that was really exciting to me. And then I, you know, and then I started doing like the the, the street art stuff and like I kind of bounce around from thing to thing where I, when I have those moments, it's like when you discover those songs that you're like, oh, it gives you that feeling where you're like, oh, I got to listen to that again. I got to listen to that again. It's like, you know, you kind of struck gold there. So it's like that's when I have those moments, I really kind of like drop everything and, and and obsess, you know. I love that. I love that. If I'm if I'm 
what I'm hearing is like, it's like your passion is your compass. Yeah. And whatever your passion is pointing towards, you're fucking going all in. Going all in. And it takes a lot of creative courage to do that. Because your comfort zone is snowboarding, which is, you know, I, I can get paid snowboarding. I got fucking almost an M in the bank because of doing these Mickeys. Like, I know that's there, <laughs> right? So it's like, I, but then you're like, well, I'm going to do music. That takes a lot of creative courage, too. But I like the yeah. passion compass thing. Like, whatever you're passionate about, fucking follow that thing. Yeah. It no. seemed like you transferred into music quick, too, because I remember you were snowboarding, and then next thing I knew, I was at a trade show in Vegas, and you were on stage yeah. for a show, like, doing a yeah. concert. Just like, damn, dude. Yeah. And you were good. Oh, I appreciate it, man. That was that, that was like it was crazy because that was the first songs I ever wrote, and and it just yeah, I, I had that like I had a ACL surgery, and and um I was down, and I was in Philly, and I just met my wife Santi. Just give her and, an What's that? I just gave her Oh yeah, yeah, most definitely. <laughs> and uh, she she had all the stuff laying around the house, and and I just started picking the stuff up and and um was like killing time and i actually didn't really first i was like writing music with with her and not really with the intention to write music i just like pick up the guitar and like strum like on a single string and like baseline riff something or whatever and um she would come in singing a melody and like some of those ideas they became songs you know and i'm like wow i don't even know how to play but like i know how to play enough to get out a feeling or something or an idea and um so, and then I just started, you know, when I was home alone, like kind of recording and, and playing with the MPC and recording on a little four track tape recorder. And, and then I had all these songs and this was like MySpace era and shout out to MySpace. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. RIP. <laughs> um, but, and she was like, oh, I made you a My- MySpace page. Because I even at that point, I was so off grid. I didn't need, like, I didn't want to have a cell phone or a computer or anything. I was still so analog. And she made me a MySpace. I was like, what is this? And then, but that really, because I was just going to put the music in the drawer kind of thing. It was like fun for me, but it was kind of like, oh, I got to get back on the board kind of thing at first. And then, but to have that, you know, to be able to connect with people and people reach out and say, yo, I love it. And like, bam, or somebody being like, yo, I want to use that song for my video part. Or I was like, oh, I felt that. And I was like, you know what? I could do this. And, uh, and then I just went in a little harder. And then the community, the snowboard community, skate, surf, like that's pretty much the only place I existed. It was just because I had the support of people that were like, yo, you want to want to do a show or this is what you want to do now? Cool. We'll give you, we got an event at trade show, you know, like, let's do it. So I just always took advantage of those opportunities and and just said, fuck it, I'm going to do this, you know? That's sick. The industry had your back, too. Yeah. It's really cool. Yeah, totally. And that's an interesting one. It's kind of corny. We got the quote in the booth, but I don't know the key to success, but the key to failure is trying to please everybody. And you seem like the product of that more than anybody that's even sat in this chair. Yeah. You know, you're like. Yeah, it's real. It's that's That's real talk. All right. I want to stay. I want to stay on some snowboard nerd stuff since this is a snowboard podcast in some way so i gotta dive in, in. Some way. uh yeah i guess <laughs> whatever i don't know what this thing is anymore but um a couple things want to talk about first things first the movie 1999 um i i remembered i mean we've been talking about mctwist but the one particular mctwist i remember thinking that oh that was a huge mctwist back in the day i went back and watched it 
It is still a fucking yeah. huge McTwist, dude. That Have you seen that clip that recently? Thing still yeah. Plays. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I saw it recently. Um, damn, yeah, that was so fun. That was that was up at Brome Ridge in in uh, BC, and um, that was such a epic moment for me too because it was like coming out of the snowboard the the contest kind of aspect of my snowboarding career and into like. Let's get this on film and let's push ourselves. Because I felt like in this in the contest, I felt I was almost getting stagnant because it was like do the same thing, do the same, and it's like to be able to bring it to almost like a new medium and backcountry or like building like bigger features, and um, it really allowed me to like really push myself and not everything just be based around that one. Like to to be able to like really work on something all day long and and get it, you know. But yeah, that that was really fun, and and I'm real proud of that moment. Really, like I look back on that, I'm like, damn, that was that was such a fun session, and it almost ended up being like I was just by the end of the day when I did that, I was just like sessioning by myself and shooting with Mouse and Anthony, and uh, yeah, it was fun. That's a killer part in that one, and uh, another thing I want to talk about too is I heard a rumor from. Uh, I'll, I will not disclose my sources, but uh, I heard when you were starting to film backcountry stuff, uh, at one point you wore a bulletproof vest. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> I was running the bulletproof vest for sure because um, I felt like there wasn't really any body armor at the time that was like, I don't know, it, it, that one just seemed like it was the most fitting and it just, it really, like you slam a tree with a bulletproof vest, like, you're kind of good. You're good. <laughs> you know? It added a little more weight, but I felt like I felt more secure with it. Easy if you need to get over the jump, you yeah, throw that thing on, weight. you get a little more weight to carry yeah. carry speed. Yeah, when I was hitting the uh this the road jump, road gap jump with Mikey Renz actually in uh where it well? Yeah, I guess that's what it was from. I saw a photo of that, I think, on your gram somewhere. Yeah, yeah, Sick. Jeff Curtis photo. Yeah, Jeff is Curtis it one of the whiteout yep. films? Or no, is it, uh, or... That's a big, big gap. Yeah, yeah that's, that's a, a big one. Shot. I wanted to hit that this year, actually. What? Yeah, and I was like... Or maybe Did you it was, lie it up? Did you look no, it I didn't, because um, I kept asking Mike, and he was like, no, it didn't, like, fill in right uh-huh. or something, but, uh, or at least when I was around. But, um, yeah, maybe next season. You know, I'd love <laughs> to get out and... Hit a few of those ones. Wow. That's some big, big dog stuff right there. Yeah. I got to put on the bulletproof vest. Put on the yeah. vest. I need to see that. I want to see that photo. We got to make that happen. Yeah. Now, I heard a couple other rumors we got to get into. Uh, I also heard that you had, like, at the time when cell phones first came out, you had some pretty obnoxious cell phone bills. Yeah, actually, I did. When I when I met Santi, actually, I'd flow, I flew to uh, Switzerland, like, the day after I met her in New York, and... um that was like 20 years ago, by the way, which is crazy. And uh, we just stayed in touch. I was calling her like every day on the cell phone. But I was thinking like I was on some... I just never even knew what the hell was going on with this stuff. I was like... But yeah, I racked up like... I don't know. It was like 10 grand or something stupid Oof. on the trip. And then the bigger part of that problem, though, was the rental car. Cause, like, I heard about this. We, we <laughs> forgot... we. I think Renz might have been with me. I forget who was. I think he was. But we returned. We were in a rush. Anthony was with me. We were in a rush to return to get catch a flight. We brought the keys with us. We parked the car and uh, and it stayed there like 
parked, but they didn't know that we didn't return it or something. And it was like a few months later, they're like oh. charging us like what it cost to buy the car, basically. No. But that's when it was like, you know, the Burton budgets, the travel budgets, you know, it was like it was easy to run those up. You know? It was unlimited back then. Wasn't yeah, it? pretty much. Did I was they like, have oh, my photo incentive too back then? Yeah, it was. Yeah, there wasn't like a cap on it. Yeah, remember there's Blotto. caps now. Yeah, there's caps. Oh, oh yeah. what? Yeah, yeah. You were oh. a part of a good time because Blotto said he'd like around your time there was no, no incentive cap, and he would like help people get their photos together. Yeah, and send them no. in, and yeah. certain people got huge checks because of it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's nice. Explain also what photo incentive is because. People, I don't even know if it exists. Yeah, I don't think it, it's maybe Instagram incentive now is in contracts. Yeah. Oh, but okay. back in the day, I, a lot of people, our listeners don't know what photo incentives. Right. Is. Yeah, photo incentives when you get a shot in the mag. And uh, depending on if it's a full page, half page cover, you're getting like a check that's attached to that. So every full page, you know, whatever you're getting. I can't even remember what those numbers were like, but. Yeah, it was decent. They added up, and then yeah, oh, for, for sure. And then yeah. also, there's in, in that in your contract generally there's video part incentive. So like a lot of them are like however many seconds. First is worth X amount. Last part's worth X yeah. amount. Yeah, exactly. Every, and so like you know you can rack up if you have last part and a shitload of photos in the magazine, you could make you a lot of money check. off of incentives. And along with usually contests, they're going to probably match something. Right. right? So. Yeah, so I wondered. So now is it like you I think get it's paid like for a likes? Payment, pretty much. Oh, okay. You just get this check, and you better do all these things, kind of. Right. I mean, Chris would know. Yeah, just usually just salary stuff, but there's yeah. uh, I'm just, there's definitely incentives and, and stuff like that for contests and X Games and whatever. But I w- I wanted to um, pick your brain because Mikey Rents was telling me that maybe around the time you'd filmed a bunch of parts with whiteout films, they're awesome. Your wear it well parts awesome. And at a certain point in time, like your contract was up and I think it was when you switched over and you filmed for absinthe and you filmed for saturation, mm-hmm. which that part is amazing. Riding to Sean Paul, fucking big ass headphones again. Yeah. And, uh, Mikey made it sound like you, your contract, like you went in on the incentives cause you're like, all right, you, or some shit like that where you're, you went in, you're like, I'm getting last part so I can max out my incentives. Oh, something. maybe. Yeah. I was definitely <laughs> trying to you know, get the most out of any situation there. But uh, I think I was, at that point, just really eager to to prove myself because I remember feeling a little bit like, and recently I was talking to Brewsty and he reminded me of this, that he was like, yeah, I remember you asking to film with us and us kind of like saying no at first and being like, can you, you think you're going to deliver? And I was like, dude. And it really, for me, because I knew my heart was like to go out into the backcountry and do, you know, more big mountain freestyle and and put together like the part that I always, you know, like my best part. And um, so, yeah, I think at that point when I was given the opportunity, I really just aside from, you know, wanting to make the most that I could, it was more about like just proving myself and, and really making my stamp on that I felt like I was delivering and I could, you know, and that I could make my mark in snowboarding. And I felt like that's where I made my probably biggest mark is just like through some of those video parts, you know, cause I could really translate like who I was as a snowboarder, whether it be by the music choice or the, just the way that the style and that the, um, the way that put the part was put together and, uh, so 
yeah, saturation was like a real special season. That's actually when I went over and had the t- stupid phone bill because I was spent most of my season like in Switzerland and riding with uh, Roman and and those guys. Yeah, it's a cool arc of a career when you look at it, how you're start off Nova Scotia East Coast half pipe into like half pipe career uh, into kind of whiteout films and things like that, and then absent films but one thing we never talked about that i wanted to get into is like in your half pipe career um you went to two olympics yeah and there was like a lot of pressure because you were kind of the canadian guy one of them right yeah yeah for sure like the first one in nagano i was like definitely you know i'd been winning some contests that year and obviously like todd was another person that was a contender and michael chuck and um but it was yeah. Shout out to Michael Chuck. Uh, it but it was it was crazy. It was a lot of pressure. And it, it, and going there, I was like, I don't give a fuck about the Olympics. Like, cause to me, U.S. Open, all those things really were like where I my I just was like I held them so high, you know. And the Olympics, I never even watched the Olympics before I went to the Olympics. And so when I went there that's when I really, things kind of changed and I was like, whoa, like this is really a big deal. Like people worked their whole fucking lives to get here right now, you know? And I saw how serious people were taking it. So for me, I was definitely like, whoa, but I still felt good. I felt like I was going to kill it, but it just didn't happen that day. You know, it was just like, it wasn't that day, you know, it's kind of shitty day. But, uh, and then the second Olympics was kind of like just a, a bonus i didn't make the team um there was some like points thing or whatever that i didn't uh i didn't come um deliver or whatever so i didn't make that that cut but then it was like a week before the contest and i got the call like uh daniel got hurt like get down here and i just been riding pow but i went down there and it was like it was rad i had some fun runs that pipe was super fun and but again, it wasn't that wasn't my day, you know. Yeah, yeah you mean you had your days. You won fifty k. Yeah. So, some days yeah. you win, some days yeah. you lose. That's, That's the thing how it about goes. the pipe. It's like if it's not your day, it's not your day. What are you gonna do? Yeah, exactly. That's what's so crazy about the Olympics and the champions that actually make it their day, no matter what the day is. It's like, geez, man. Yeah, no doubt. The level it's at now, no doubt. I mean, I definitely even think about like there is like a moment like where I thought like even coming into like my last hit at the second Olympics in in Salt Lake, I was just like, I felt like I really could have pushed it, you know, and I really could have went for it because I was like, fuck, what do you got to lose, man? You you weren't even supposed to be here. But yeah, that moment I didn't I didn't apply the pressure and um, but it was a great experience, really. I mean, to go it was like it was definitely eye opening to how most of the other athletes what their experience is being there and how they've worked their whole lives to be there and you know it was like it was a little different for us you know did you watch the olympics this year i didn't actually (laughs) crazy i saw the highlights i definitely saw the highlights it was psycho Psycho i have a question yeah (laughs) what what meant more to you going to the olympics or filming uh your part in saturation oh filming my part in saturation like no question you know and it's not because I had a horrible day at the Olympics. It was more just because I feel like that represents who I am in snowboarding better than what the Olympics could, even if I won, you know? 
that's such an interesting thing that like no fucking person that snowboards like it's that's not really into it could ever grasp grasp the fact that filming a seg of three minute segment in a snowboard video means more than the Olympics. It's like that just doesn't compute, but it we, we get it, you yeah. know. But it's amazing. That's what's amazing yeah. about snowboarding. Yeah. All right, I kind of want to take a little left turn and hijack this one a little bit because uh, we went to Newfoundland yeah. years ago. And the thing that's really, really cool um, is you were talking about your first trip to Newfoundland with, with uh, who Gucci. was it, Gooch and them, right? Yeah. Well, when I signed with Solomon, my first trip paid for, like with Solomon, right when I got on, was with Hava Fernandez and Scotty Arnold and yourself. For Transworld and Scott Surface was shooting photos. So my first ever like paid for trip. Oh wow! Was when we went to Newfoundland. Yeah. Like I just got signed, and I was with Trevor Andrew, and I couldn't fucking believe it. <laughs> and here, here I am, like little snot nosed shithead kid with Trevor, and he's doing shows, and that was fucking awesome. That's I wild. Yeah, yeah, that was a fun trip. I didn't even I, I didn't know that that was your first paid trip. I, but yeah, I saw you guys really working, and I was kind of like half-assing it on that trip a little bit. But it was, <laughs> <laughs> it was fun. It was, I mean, such a rad place to visit. I mean, Newfoundland. That town's incredible. So cool. Yeah. I love it there. So it was nice to be out there with you guys. And definitely, I had some like squad with me that you met. Obviously, those guys, like one of the guys, Scott Doucet, was the, one of the Deuce. yeah Deuce. He was one of the OG like pro riders from my mountain before me you know and um yeah good people that was a really special one and the the funny thing too is like uh trevor was doing shows at night so i think it was at st john was one of the big cities right so i think yeah. so and so we he would we would like snowboard all day and then you guys yeah. weren't in st john the whole time we were we around? went both sides of the newfie you traveled yeah. all newfie. yeah yeah, it's not a huge place, but St. we were John's on both cool sides. It was awesome, yeah. and and then Scotty Arnold and I had recorded some songs of our own. Yes, and we actually opened for Trevor wow. and rapped on stage, which for was, his crowd. <laughs> <laughs> you let these guys open for it was you. Amazing, <laughs> these legendary. Song, these songs have still got the recording. Yes. Oh, you do. Yeah, we'll just say they haven't aged yeah, well. These songs song, haven't aged well. I don't think the song aged well. Uh, Great song, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I Killer. got a really, I got a funny story. I don't know if I've ever told you this, Trevor, but um, one day we were we we went and it was a cold day. I don't remember which day it was, and we went and we went to a restaurant after. And Hava was with us, and Hava ordered French onion soup, mm-hmm. and he was eating soup, and and none of us had gotten our food yet. We were all hell hungry, like we'd been shoveling and all this stuff. So we get Hava gets the soup, and. It, um, we were all kind of tired and stuff and he's eating the soup and he's like, Oh, this is so good. The, the, the basically describing the flavor of the uh-huh. soup really well. And I think you were maybe a little baked or whatever. I couldn't tell, but he's describing all the flavors. And at one point you like, he kind of stops describing the flavor of the soup and you go, what else? Like you, 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 you wanted him to continue describing the soup because you're all we're all so hungry, uh, and that became a thing that we said all the time. Really? Like with our friends, we'd be like, "What else?" Like, and so Louis much to the point that Louis Paradis, the best jibber on the fucking planet right now, his Instagram handle is "What else?" No and way. I wondered how that from became you. his name. Describing like like Hava's eating the soup and you're just so enamored with it, you're like, what else? Like keep going. I love that. 
He was doing uh, such a good job describing yeah. the suit. <laughs> like, what else? That's amazing. That's incredible. So, I don't know. That's if, a nice fun fact. Yeah, that's a fun fact. That trip was <laughs> was awesome. So, yeah, that, that trip, Deuce, and then what's up with your boy, Jofo? Jofo, Jofo yeah, cool. he's, he's doing his thing. He's Saudi. He's making music and, yeah, doing his thing. All right, we're going to take a quick break and talk to you guys about Bub's Naturals. Now, what is Bub's Naturals? So they're a company that makes all kinds of products, but the one that I like the best is their collagen protein powder. Now, I like to take this, mix it in a smoothie. I take two scoops, throw it in a smoothie with some blueberries, banana, almond butter, some chia seeds, uh, some, some uh, oat milk, mix it all up. You got yourself a great smoothie. And the thing that's great about it, with two scoops of collagen in there, you get 20 grams of protein. And as you get older, your body kind of loses its ability to synthesize this protein. So you got to get it in the system if you want to keep snowboarding when you're in your 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. If you want to be 110 and still be able to make twists or just turn down the hill for that matter, you got to take care of your body. So that's what's cool about Bub's. Uh, it's a company that comes from the world of snowboarding. So, you know, snowboarders for snowboarders here and you're supporting a great brand. 10% of all of their profits go to charity. So if you want to take care of your body, head on over to bubsnaturals.com. Use promo code bombhole for 20% off. Again, bubsnaturals.com, promo code bombhole for 20% off. I usually go through about two of these jugs a month. If you're getting a lot down the gullet. So again, bubsnaturals.com, promo code bombhole. All right, we were just talking about kind of like Olympics video part versus Olympics, kind of like art form versus sport. Yeah. And I think this is a fun conversation, you know, because, you know, I, I have a take that's kind of like if you're at on the edge of your seat yelling at the TV, it's it's kind of a sport in my opinion. But in your, I like your approach where it's like, you know, it seems like the whole way you approach snowboarding, you approached it like an art. Would you say that that's a fair assessment? Yeah, I, I would definitely say that snowboarding, skateboarding, surfing, all that is, is I would, and I guess I've looked at it my entire life more as an art than a sport. I would, it's like a martial art, you know, it's, it's something that it's more, it obviously takes athletic ability and it can function like a sport, but it doesn't have to, you know, which I think is special about it. You know, that's what we have that's so unique that like, it doesn't always have to be a sport. It can just be a way of life. Totally. Yeah. Wow. Well said. And that's, yeah, that's very well watching said. you ride in Newfoundland. I remember you setting up the spot and it was like such a slow process of like, like getting ready and like chilling and like yeah. doing it on your own time. Everything's right. on your own time. Like there's nobody like, all right, we got to get this right now. You're like, I'm going to hit this when I'm ready. Yeah. And that's much, that's like a, an art artist approach i think yeah for sure and that's kind of how i do uh approach art in a lot of ways but definitely have learned from the the contest grind and that pressure situation to like deliver in a different way as well like because there's sometimes that i'm creating and i'm just just creating based off of a feeling or i'm not creating because i don't have the feeling and i'm staring at something for like three months and then i touch it and it takes like a few minutes but there's other times when I'm like working with somebody else and I'm and there's a deadline so it pushes me and I usually leave it to the very last second anyway 
and then boom, I'll like cultivate that feeling out of myself somehow and really, you know, create. That's awesome. I feel like a lot of times you just do it in your head and that's why you can go and do it so quick because in yeah. three months you've been thinking about it. Oh, for and sure. Maybe you have this empty canvas, but you've been thinking about it the whole time. Yeah, visualizing. Yeah. Visualizing is such a key key element, huh? Yeah, that I learned through skateboarding. I have a Patreon question from Danny Larson, who's also an artist, snowboarder turned artist. He says, would love to hear your take on why so many boarders end up taking a creative path after they end their pro career. Also, your thoughts on the similarities between being a pro rider and an artist. Right, yeah. Well, I mean, I think it I think it makes perfect sense for riders to then say, hey, I'm doing something creative because they've been doing something creative their whole life, you know, and looking at the mountain is a creative experience in itself. You're looking looking at it like how can you approach it differently or what can you bring to it, even with skateboarding, like a curb, you know. It's like how creative is that curb? It's like it's just a curb, but, like, you have to be super creative and reimagine and visualize what you want to do. So I think, you know, once you come off of a career of doing that, your whole life, it just makes sense that you look at the world or whatever medium you're working on, and it's most likely you're going to be approaching it in a very creative way, you know? Sick. Have you seen Danny Larson's art at all? I haven't. Dude, it's crazy. It's like, I don't know how to describe like it. Fine point yeah, pen like, stuff. Like, very, very, um, like, you got to zoom way in on it, and it's really, really intricate. It's oh, like dope. With a fine point pen. I think he really even, cool. yeah, maybe pencil even, or I don't know. Oh, I got to check it's that. It's really, really cool, yeah. Rad. In his country, he gets, he's like one of the. It's Norwegian. Yeah, Norwegian. He's a huge artist out there. It's really Sick. cool to see his work all over town and restaurants and stuff like oh, that. Oh, that's dope. Yeah, good dude. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. I mean. There's so many uh, people I could think of that do that, that have, you know. Yeah, they start snowboarding and yeah. just go on that path. Or skating or whatever, yeah. surfing, you know. 100%. Now, uh, before we, we should get into more music and more art, but before we do, what do you think we should get into, bud? Oh, name that video part. Let's do this. Okay, so Name That Video Part is presented by our Patreon members, bud. That's right. Uh, thank you guys for supporting the show and uh, supporting us and letting us sit down and talk with people like Trevor. You guys kick ass. So I just want to say thank you. Uh, now for Name That Video Part, uh, how you feeling, Trevor? Good. Yeah, let's get it. Okay, confidence <laughs> level zero through oh, 10. you got to throw in the headphones uh, for this one. It just depends, I guess, what where it what kind of years we're pulling from, you know? All right. Well, let's see how you do. All right. Oh. Oh, it's uh, Subject Hawkinson. Yes, it is. <laughs> I'll tell you what, Trevor, your credibility, that your street cred just went up. Boom. Nice. Yes. He's fucking famous artist. Still got the snowboard street cred. He knows the subject, Hawkinson. Well, Trevor, uh, congratulations! You won yourself a bombhole uh, prize pack here. Oh, rad! Yeah, there's uh, there's some. Uh, we got some. What are those things called? The uh, patches. Patches. I figure you might be a patch guy. Oh, definitely. Some this grappling. Def- I am a patch guy, man. Yeah, I, we I got do like a bunch of patchwork stuff. So I want to definitely put these on one of my new pieces. 
Yeah, that would be, we nope. would we would appreciate that. That would be insane. Yeah, man. And uh, thank you so much. So part two of name that video part. This is for the people listening. You don't answer this one, Trevor, but okay. you might know it. You could you could throw yeah, the headphones on. And uh, so if you guys um, want to participate, how do they do it, bud? You're going to put your answer in the first photo of Trevor that we post announcing that he'll be on the podcast the next day. The on thumb, Instagram. thumbnail photo on Instagram is where we pick our winner. So if you know it, as soon as this comes out. Comment there, and you might get yourself what, bud? Prize back. That's absolutely correct. Here we go. I know this. Well, you can say it. We'll beep it out. It's uh, it's part. Um, and from uh, oh, it's it's uh, hold up. No. <laughs> it's not. It's. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's perfect. Uh, <laughs> obvi- obviously, was wasn't happen. one of my favorite parts. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thank you everybody for participating in name that video part. All right, let's talk about art. Yeah. Let's go art on them. Let's get it. We actually have the shark department here. I put an SH before the art. Yeah, our, our, our graphic designer was all proud of the sign he made that said <laughs> art department, and then he put an SH in front of it. Which is, that's actually technically art, too. Uh, yeah, that's, I like that. So, uh, <laughs> uh, talking talk about Gucci ghost stuff, um, you know, when you first had your original trap house, I remember seeing you draw that, but I heard that you maybe got sued by Gucci about that or what was this? What's the story with the Gucci ghost and how it evolved? Yeah. So, well, really how it started was it was me, you know, I, I never like grew up like into high fashion brands and stuff. I was never into like Gucci like that where I, it was more about like, I guess my uh, exposure to it was through like, like when I go to New York, I'd be going down to Canal Street and buying like bootleg Gucci suits and stuff like that. And um, and that was only because I saw like dudes like, you know, LL Cool J or Rakim or those iconic photos that really, you know, transferred over and then into the the early like um, 2000s, where it's like even you saw like the remnants of like the Dapper Dan uh, stuff that all those iconic um photos came with like the altered Gucci suits and then like 50 cent with this bulletproof vest with the Gucci and like so I was into it like that like from that angle because I grew up like you know wearing Dickies and going to the thrift shop with my mom and and so I wasn't going to like Gucci stores it wasn't until I won that 50 grand that I was like oh I want to go buy the Gucci watch that like inspected deck was wearing you know but um but it really started yeah with me just reimagining something start like I I and it's I guess that's what it always starts with it's like look at the curb how can you reimagine that but like Gucci the brand the logo I just saw it like in that way so much that I was like oh how could I like extract some power from the actual brand reinterpret it throw it out into the world and um and I really didn't think that like it was a like it was an offering to me 
it wasn't I wasn't stealing anything. I felt like I was actually showcasing a way that the brand could function and and participate and, and actually connect with a younger audience and and um so you know when I came back from the Philippines and I had the Gucci bootleg sheet of fabric and I cut the eye holes out of it and skated around New York uh and for people to connect with it like so immediately like just me skating around and people being like yo Gucci ghost like before like Gucci ghost was a thing you know it wasn't a thing it was but it was such a simple idea that I was fascinated that people were so immediately like making that connection that I started drawing it and I started painting it on trash cans and I started making like you know digital art and and actually I made an EP that was called the Gucci Ghost EP so that was really the, the first effort that um, all the visual art and the videos and the installations and the, the street stuff was all to bring focus to the music and like it just happened that, you know, the clothes that I was, like, not using and painted and the jackets and spray painting the stuff, it just, once Ari had images of it and then Gucci caught wind of it, um, they wanted to bring me on. But that was a three-year period before they knew about what I was doing. And, um, and there was a point where initially it didn't start with, hey, I want to reach the brand. But there was a point halfway through where I'm like, yo, like, they should do this, you know? Why wouldn't they do this? This is dope, you know? And people are like, oh, Gucci will never fuck with you, you know? They don't they do not do collaborations, and you're not a famous artist, and, you know, they're, you're only going to get sued. Like, they're going to stop you from doing it. And I was like, well, I'm going to do this till they sue me or hire me, you know? And... And I just kept like a positive, and I was like, you know, it would just take the right person to get it. And Alessandro, he had just gotten his new role as the create creative director. Yeah, drop a bomb for him. And uh, he he fearlessly brought me on in his first year over there at Gucci as the creative director, and was like, you know what, this is I get this. I know what he's saying. He brought me on. I went over there with three years worth of you know jackets and paintings and digital art hard drives films like everything was like yo here and they just i remember them like i remember being on the plane being like i don't even like maybe we're just gonna do like a, a print for like a scarf or something but like and i think that we both didn't know how far it was gonna go but then i pulled up with all these like suitcases full of stuff and i remember them just opening them opening the bags and everybody standing around the offices and it was like it was literally like the the gold rays were like coming out of the bags, you know, and and it was felt and and Alessandro just we just started working from that moment. He started taking all those pieces that I had made years before, and he started elevating them, putting linings in them, and like working with them. And then gave me an office, um, and I just started painting more stuff. and And he would be like upstairs working, and I was down in my office, and then we would meet and. And boom, it was just like a perfect, uh, it wasn't like he, he could have been like, yo, I just got this job as the creative, like, don't fuck this up, like, do it <laughs> like this, or whatever. He was just really, just let me do my thing and took his selects of, of what, you know, out of all this stuff, and and boom, there, we dropped the first collection, and um, 
and it went crazy and it really showed the brand that like you know they didn't have to be so rigid and um you know i think i stripped it down and broke it down and brought some fun to it and uh and it was great for all of us you know it was like a a big moment for me to because my intention from the beginning was just to bring eyes on what i was doing as a creative because i just wanted to continue it was like that moment of like getting the into the contest and winning the first contest it's like to get that moment where everybody could see you and what you're doing and what you're working at and what you're loving it's what allows it to 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 blossom and you have a career at it you know so that was a big moment for me, for sure. Was it Ari that made that first connection with them? Yeah, Ari. Because he used to be a snowboard photographer, for people that don't know. Yeah, for sure. And he shot, and I didn't even know this, when he was coming around hanging with us shooting the snowboard stuff, like, he had been shooting stuff, like, in New York, like, all this, like, early Supreme stuff, Harmony Corinne, like, early, like, the black and whites of, like, Basquiat, and, like, he really you know, um, had done some amazing, significant stuff. It's such an amazing artist. Uh, but yeah, he was the one that made the connection because Gucci hired him and he was the voice that connected me and said, Oh, you got to meet my friend Trevor. You know, he's got this Gucci goes thing and, and Alessandro saw it and, and immediately like hit me up and it was crazy. Cause I, I was out fishing. I came back, my phone had died. I turned on my phone and, it was just like blown up with like, hey, you know, it's Gucci. We want to collaborate. And just three days before, this was like three years into the project. Like I remember even my, my wife said to me, we we're in Jamaica. And I came home. I painted this whole house Gucci. And I was like, oh, check out this house. I just painted. It's all Gucci. And she was like, when are you going to stop painting Gucci ghost on everything? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like. And then I was thinking, oh, well, it's been three years, and I've done a lot with the project. And then I'm like, but there was something in, deep down that I knew that it wasn't, like, I was proud of the project and what I had done with it. Did a lot of, like, uh, you know, street art and did some pop-ups and did some installations and a lot of different things. I explored so many different mediums using Gucci Ghost as, like, the theme, the mascot for it, you know? And, uh, but... Yeah, and then, you know, to get that text three days later, like, <laughs> and I remember, like, showing her at dinner, like, look. <laughs> and it's crazy, and it's, you know, it's no disrespect because, like, the the closest people to you sometimes, you know, it's not everybody. You can't expect everybody to understand what your vision is, you know what I mean? And you've got to find that courage to know that you can do it. If we were all at the top of a big-ass jump, you know, I'm sure, like, a lot of our loved ones around us would be like, no, you shouldn't do that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Most of your loved ones, right? <laughs> you know? No, it's not a good idea. But it's like, you know when you got to challenge yourself, push yourself, and you know when you got to just believe in it and and go for it. So, and that, I've been, I think that that's my greatest gift is that I've had the ability to just believe in my ideas. I remember seeing some sort of photo gallery where you see like two chains wearing the new line. And then in the same gallery, Elton John. Right. What was that like for you? Yeah, it was wild for it to, to actually reach the world from like, obviously just going over there and being at Gucci and, and then listening to me as, you know, a voice of what the direction is we're going. But like then to see how kind of the after effect of that, once it actually 
reached the masses and how it was such a, you know, eclectic group of people that identified and connected with it. You know, it was really, it was, I mean, so humbling and, and, um, so grateful for it. Man, it's fucking crazy when you think about your life, when you think about take yourself as a young snowboarder and all of a sudden, you know, maybe your high school teacher's like, dude, you're, you're dropping out of school. You're, yeah, what are you doing, you, What man? are you doing? You're blowing it. <laughs> Boom, you're cashing a check for 50K. You're on Burton. You're traveling the world. You're yeah. a pro snowboarder larger than life. Music. Everybody's like, what are you doing, dude? Why are you leaving snowboarding? Boom, sold out shows. Fucking killing it. Packed, packed crowds, huge fan base. Then music. All of a sudden, you're in these apartments. You're spray painting Gucci Ghost on TVs all over the fucking walls. People are like, what the hell is Trevor doing? And then... Uh-huh. Boom! All of a sudden, you you got an office in Gucci. It's like yeah. it's this crazy thing. But what I'm getting at is, do did you have like a vision that you're like, Gucci's gonna pick this up? Like I'm gonna make it? Is it like I'm not taking no for an answer? Is it this is happening no matter what? Like do you did you have that clear vision, or are you just like I'm? Like, I, what drives you to like push that? It's, it's a vague, shitty question, but like I'm just kind of seems like it just keeps working for you and i'm just wondering what drives that well i think it was just the intention of just wanting to do it just because it felt right and as far as reaching the brand yeah there was a moment where i was like yeah you know gucci should do this and i'm gonna do it till they sue me or hire me but but like i was kind of also content with the fact that like I just was enjoying the process i was enjoying the response and the reaction to the people around me to it as well and that's what's, you know, often uh, pushed me forward and, you know, that support and that, that love you get shown. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I did I did see it. I definitely saw it and was like, they should do this. Like, and it would just take the right person. And maybe that's a fucking shot in the dark, you know. But, like, it, I'm like, this is, this is perfect timing and it, it, it makes sense. You know, it's honest and, and I think, you know, and I really like doing work like that with with um, thinking out, like taking something that I see, but it's not just for me. It's like looking at you, when you're in a relationship, you can't really see what other people see when they're outside of the relationship sometime, right? So like when I do collaborations, I view it in that same way where sometimes I can see something about them that the, the brand or the person, the personality that they might not see themselves. And I know that I could like bring something that might uh, connect and, and make sense. And, and yeah, I've just had a lot of luck with that, you know? Yeah. Basically bridging that gap, huh? Yeah. Cause yeah. you got Gucci. That's this designer high end brand. Very formal feel. Yeah. Very, but yet the street people love it because of hip hop and that connection. But then you threw art, like bridge that gap to make it even really, pop for the people well yeah and and i think the fact when you just see like the wide group of people that connected with it i think it's just bottom line it comes down to like fun and being you know a bit of like i think everybody wants to be a little bit like disruptive and and uh break like the the mold and just bring some new something new to it i think skateboarding is like i always go back to it as like it taught me everything how to approach like the progression we see with skateboarding snowboarding 
is just ridiculous. I don't think that there's anything that's more progressive that we've seen like in our lifetimes that's actually like the level up that that's you know we've witnessed in our own lifetimes. Like so, like I think to bring that same energy to you know art and uh, brands and stuff is fun to me. That's I love that, and there's something also there too because I think that in some ways art is a it can be seen as like lackadaisical in a way or um, like you either have it or you don't. But I think I view it more as a skill that you have to work at to get better. Like, would do you feel like you, you have to like make sure you put in time to progress your art? Yeah. I, I think for sure you got to like put in time to progress anything. You got to, you know, like, and that doesn't mean just making art. It means like you know, like reading or watching films or, you know, there's so many. Um, I'm always trying to like, for me, a big part of my progression just as a person has just been like traveling and getting out into the world. And I'm so grateful for like how snowboarding at a young age brought me out to the world and and exposed me to so many different ways of life and ways of thinking. And that allows you to really uh expand as an artist and and ultimately just it, it comes down to just expanding as a person and growing and and you know if you limit yourself and you only see kind of what's immediately in front of you or you don't go and try to reach something that's maybe not close to you it's going to be hard to to um progress and grow you know Man, that's that's a really you just flip some stuff on your head from my perspective too. Because I, I was think I think it was thinking about the the art of making art as a craft as a skill, like doing a kickflip, right? Is but in the search for traveling, there, there's also this whole there's that art that's finding inspiration. Yeah, like you have to actively seek inspiration. Yeah, I know. I, I was. Yeah, and no, you, you, and do. you do that, right? Well, yeah, I just I think that that's what I crave in my life is to just go out and find that. I think the inspiration is just the excitement, the feeling of discovery and experimentation, and just uh, and then also that the glory of like pushing yourself to to go somewhere new or do something that's that you thought you know. Or that you've had to work really hard at and just um think that's special, you know, and I chase that. I chase that every day. Like I'm always trying to find that, whether it be going back in time, thinking in going um into the future, or like just trying to absorb as much that I know will be like give me sustenance in that way. It's like I don't even barely like I kinda watch a little bit of shitty TV sometimes, but for the most part, if I'm like watching TV, it's like so I'm I'm really actually watching something that like I feel like is giving me something. Mm-hmm. It's giving me inspiration. It's giving me insight to somebody else's perspective, and and um, so I definitely watch like a lot of docs and stuff like that, and um, and yeah, just trying to always just find that spark, you know, and and follow that and and make that as big of a flame as I possibly mm-hmm. can. You know, then it's random too. It's it's like that's so cool. Oh, it I is love that stuff. And and like you said earlier, it's all about like letting the the um 
the passion or the excitement be the compass, you know, and just following that fearlessly and just mm-hmm. going for it. Totally. And you don't do that without experience. Still, like me and my girlfriend were just in Mexico and we had to walk so fuck. She wanted to go get these acai bowls. We'd walk so far. But like we're walking on this dirt road and I'm looking around I'm like cactuses are so dope. It'd be cool to make a company with like a cactus as a logo. It's just fucking cool. You don't get that unless you go take a trip. And take a walk. Yeah, so walk. yeah, it's an experience. Yeah, it comes yeah. from an experience. And I'm sure that's Definitely. how a lot of things happen or whatever, you know. But those So are you starting those, a cactus company? I don't know. I started <laughs> I was on the plane ride home and I was doodling a bunch doodling of some I was cacti. doodling cactuses. That's cool. And, and uh so I don't know. Uh there's something there. But but that being said, I just think like you that doesn't happen if you don't go chase an experience like you're yeah. describing. I'm I'm just kind of relaying an experience that and snowboarding yeah, you never just know puts what's... you there too, yeah. which yeah. is so cool. Like those European countries and Asia, oh yeah, you just see everything fast yeah. as a young kid. Yeah, totally. And that that allowed me to to yeah just absorb. I just absorbed as much as I could. Yeah, the I, first time you hit Tokyo, you're just like eyes open. Oh my like, god! Wow, what a place! Yeah, definitely. Another thing too, talking about like style too, I should I think is really cool. Art take there's like a lot of parallels. Like take for example, uh, Shepherd Fairy. You can see a Shepherd Fairy painting. That's Shepherd Fairy, mm-hmm. right? Take for example, I don't know, J.P. Walker doing a backlit. You can see like it doesn't need to be. It can be far away. That's J.P. doing a backlit, right? And it's like. For you, it's the same thing. Like on a snowboard, you're like, "Oh, Trevor's doing the McTwist." Oh, that's a, that's a Trevor piece right there. Like you don't even, you just know. And I think that having that unique style, it's it's cool. It's just another correlation that both skateboarding, snowboarding, art all have in common. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's a, it's a, and that's what brings it back to the martial art conversation or the, you know, it's it's more than, it's more than doing it like efficiently or fast or whatever it's like it's about the way that your form and the way that you uh present it it's it's really telling your story in the way that you want to yeah i don't even know what it is it's it, it, to each person is so unique right so and that's what's beautiful about it is that it's it is a, like an identifier of somebody's um take on on whatever it is if it's snowboarding skating art whatever you know it's nice when there's i think the biggest moments that we've seen are when you can really have that clear oh that's this person's thing you know so when you uh got done with snowboarding or you got injured did you ever have moments like oh man what am i going to do next or was it just you were so busy with music and then art you've never had those stall outs that a lot of pro snowboarders get yeah i mean i definitely i think yeah i think i've just been so just going from one thing to another where it was like yeah once i discovered music and made my first couple records and was like oh this is what i'm what i'm gonna do now yeah just following that compass again and not really necessarily saying oh this is what i'm gonna do for the rest of my life but it was like this is what i'm doing right now yeah and this is Cause yeah, you never know. You ever battle self doubt? Yeah, I think I I think I do for sure. I think I, like it's, it's something that uh, I definitely um, I try to like not listen to those voices, you know. 
Like that's something that I think is definitely would be dishonest to say that it isn't there, but it's something that I just choose not to really uh, pay attention to, and I'm just like, shut the fuck up. No, you're doing this shit. <laughs> <laughs> That's dope. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. So we're going to get into a Patreon question, but first, do you want to uh, talk about sure. Patreon? I just want to say thank you guys to all of our sponsors and also our Patreon members. Uh, you guys kick ass, and thanks for helping us uh, do our kind of uh, hack job of a show. <laughs> all right. This is from Chad Bratt. How did you get involved in designing the paint scheme on Ken Block's new Pikes Peak hill climb car, and what classic race car livery influenced the look on Ken's Porsche? The, the livery, or how is it? How is it? It's said? a livery. I was, I wasn't actually familiar with the whole livery talk. I've never heard it in my it, life. I was like, you mean delivery? <laughs> <laughs> what is it? Educate is this a delivery vehicle? <laughs> <laughs> What's delivery? <laughs> It's the design of the car. Yeah, it's they just like, call it a livery. It's called a livery, yeah. So they were throwing that at you when it was time to design yeah, and the I livery. Like, <laughs> yeah, no, for real, though. Um, so livery is how you say it. Yeah. And it's just the look of the car. Yeah, it's the graphics. It's the, um, but, yeah, so the how that came about, uh, Ken actually reached out to me. And um, I know Ken from, you know, obviously he's a, a legend and, and uh our space like i i've been to i remember the last time i was actually probably in uh salt lake city i came to do a show it was at this crazy restaurant i was like we're playing at a restaurant <laughs> <laughs> and we ended up it was like not a great show but then we <laughs> <laughs> but we went up to the um the mountain lab and and got to ride and i was like oh this is so cool man like i would love to be able to do something like this this is the fact that he's always created these uh, amazing spaces for just getting rad on so many levels is amazing. So when he reached out to me, I was like, dude, I'm in. Whatever you want to do. And um, he sent me a few, um, you know, images of what the car would look like. And for me, it was it was really easy. It was kind of similar to creating the Gucci Ghost stuff where it was like, it was just such an easy kill because I knew that, you know, when you're, when you're doing a Porsche, when you're like working on that level, it's like you got people like bringing premium quality and just so much attention to detail. So I just was super motivated to, to make something really rad. And, and I sent him through like so many ideas. Um, I think that, you know, it was when I'm passionate about something, I just go in and, but I knew like the pink, um, uh, the Porsche, the Huna pig would just be like the jam and, um, and worked with some of my, you know, symbolic kind of patterns that I create and, uh, just wanted to, you know, it's an honor to be a part of that project. It really is. Cause it's, you know, to see Ken take that art, and make it go really fast. It's amazing, you know. Did you put in a contract to send you one of those Porsches? Or man, you know what is <laughs> crazy? Because after that, I'm like, how did I not make sure that I'm getting a Porsche car from this? Because <laughs> that would have looked real nice, <laughs> right? And I asked him to drive it, and he said no. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> That's tight. He said you can sit shotgun. 
I've I think heard he that's kind of a scary he thoroughly ride, enjoys scaring the shit out of people. Yeah. I, I know. I'm kind of scared of that. I'd yeah. prefer to drive, personally. <laughs> I was looking at the art on that. The thing that looks cool to me is, is A, the fact that it's pink, and it's kind of in like a like motorsports. It's kind of like yeah. macho. It's kind of like macho stuff a little bit. And I thought that that was like a perfect... Uh, I don't know, juxtaposition. Yeah, the break break down those those old ideas, man, and make like for me, I was like, yo, this is pink. Always finds its way into my work. It always does, and like I probably goes back to just like I was saying to Ken the other night, like you know, like my first Pro Tech pink helmet that I got that I wanted, like Tony Hawk, that he had the pink one with the bone sticker, and it's like those simple things that like really affect you in such a big way in your life it's like i find within the art where it's not always it's not always a conscious thing it just it's something that you think of after and you're like why why is that always and you're like damn maybe it was that that my first pro tech helmet like you know dude it's uh, a cool connection 100 percent. yeah you know it's like the thing that's really the com the pattern i see with that it's like gucci is a very prestigious formal brand that's like you know, professional and, and expensive and Porsche is this big, expensive, formal brand. And then you take your art, which is, I would call it informal. It's kind of fun. It's kind of like not so serious. And it's, it's, it's kind of, uh, it's not like, it's like imperfectly perfect in a way where it almost reminds me of like tattoos with all the little scattered clip mm -hmm. art on it yeah and i think the the clash of those world those two worlds with gucci and porsche and things like that are it's a great um it's fucking awesome yeah it's it's really fun and it's it's you know again it's a dream to be able to 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 bring my art to that um kind of platform and have it um but i i do believe that it is that's why it works so well because every time that i i do something like this um it is about bringing something new to something that is maybe um established itself as like this is our identity and it's like well why does it have to be, like let's bring something new to that because why not you know we can always uh so yeah i just dropped in and created a bunch of um graphics and colorways and created like a, a dope capsule line and a few different cars. Um, two of them have been shown and there's some other stuff in the works that's going to come. And, and uh, again, that was like so easy because Ken gave me that same treatment where I think I do my best work is like, somebody's like, Hey man, like whatever you want to do, like, let's just do it. And, and he's going to do his part and rip that thing around and uh, bring it to the world. So, really great um collaboration really excited about it and uh yeah i never envisioned actually doing a porsche so it was like wild to to see that and show up at the event the other night and and see that the car for the first time in its physical form was definitely uh, a moment oh you saw the actual car yeah i went to, and it was like under a sheet at first and it was just like the, even the scale of it i was like wow like when i was designing it and applying the art digitally, I didn't even understand, like, the scale of the car. And to see it, it was, like, big car, and it was amazing. Yeah. Really cool. And there's, uh, as you can see, if people that are watching YouTube, the listeners won't be able to see, but you can see the, 
the number 43 in the Gucci Ghost, uh, 43 being Ken's racing number. Yep. And the paint drip on that, it's fucking dope. Yeah, basically just brought his world into my world, and we kind of shared our worlds for this this one. And um, so I wanted to, yeah, like bring that 43 into the ghost and, and give new life to the ghost. And really excited to see that thing race Pikes Peak, man. It's going to be dope. When does that go down? Does anybody know? I'm not sure. Probably after this has come out. <laughs> I'm after not sure. I don't out. know. I don't know the dates on that. But one thing talking about the uh this this thing I was watching the video and there's a there's a really cool I think it's like a 12 or 15 minute YouTube video on the car and then they go to your your studio. Yeah. And you're in inside your your the the trap house you call it where you create and it's got uh shit everywhere on the walls. It's kind of like here like where you look behind there's trinkets, there's every little square foot's got a little doodad of art. Yeah. And uh, how important is having that right space for creating art? Yeah, I mean, for me, I could probably create art anywhere, but to have a place that is really like, I think it becomes that because it's like the inside of my brain, essentially. So it's like I collect things, I make stuff, and it just almost like naturally occurs that way. But like to have that, and to be in that creating and um it is really inspiring and it just makes me feel like uh, you know it's it's just a collection of all of these memories and feelings and things that are super important to me so it it kind of like gives me a creative pulse when I'm in the space and it it's just uh, man I've just from traveling around, like I'll make like a hotel room feel like that in a sense. If I'm there long enough, you know what I mean? It'll become like the space where I'll be like taping stuff to the walls and like it just, uh, you know, getting those ideas up on the walls. And cause a lot of times I also create on the floor, so I'll make stuff and then it just goes up on the walls. And then, you know, next week I'm actually like covering my entire ceiling with stuff. So it's, it's going to be fun. But it, it, it feels great, man. I mean, it's it's like a key part of my creative process to have the studio, the place to kind of like go that's just my own, that is full, like, it could be quiet some days and it'd just be me in there thinking. Sometimes I won't even be painting. I'll, you know, just listen to records or watch a film or take some calls. But it's all like, it's all cultivating like an energy to like, eventually go and throw some paint down or like get on the sewing machine or you know get on my laptop and edit something it's just it's uh it's my quiet space to make a total mess and have fun you know you got to create that vibe to, to yeah get inspiration huh yeah exactly and it's like you know i got the record collection and the tape collection and the vhs collection and it's like that is the vibe it's like it's all of these it's a collection of all my favorite things, you know? Yeah, that's awesome. What happens when the kids come running through there? They love it. <laughs> Do they, they add to they, it, I imagine? Oh, yeah, for sure. They come <laughs> in there and paint and, and play with the toys and watch the old, you know, Superman or Spider-Man videos or whatever, and, like, they get in it, and they they um they have, like, full freedom in there, and there's, like, oh, it's a couple old video games and it's like Pee Wee's Playhouse to them, you know? They <laughs> love bet. it. Like, after school, they're always like, can we go to the studio? <laughs> and, uh, yeah, 
it's it's a good time and and I like I said I make there's always a space in my life that exists like that and at my house I have an office that's like that that's it really just is a reflection of my life and all of my you know memories and favorite things and favorite people and artists and just ideas and it's a, it's like a library is it correct your old studio in New York now just lives digital World. Yeah, yeah, so my old studio in Brooklyn um that was the nucleus of Gucci Ghost and that whole project that started at that time it's it's no longer there um but before I dismantled it um I had it like scanned and we did a bunch of like high res photos and just really archived everything and not really knowing what for why we were doing it and uh but when the pandemic hit, I was about to have this big show that was supposed to be like the overview of really like where Gucci Go started and where it became. Because I, to me, it's important to tell that story because I think a lot of people, their first experience with Gucci Go's may have been like through the brand or like through a product or f- through, they don't really know like the journey of that and how unique it was that I started this three years before. And it was like really just me um, trying to bring focus to what I was doing as a creative. So um, when the pandemic hit and we couldn't do that art show, I was thinking, how could I connect with people? Like, and then I remember we had all those files. So we started digging out all those 3d um, scans and everything and, and rebuilding it as it was and we made like an exact replica of the studio the space the time that it was created so it's almost like some real like back to the future shit where it's like we're going back in time to this space to the the origins of where it all started and all the like iconic original pieces that kind of went on to have new life and be on the front of gucci stores and on clothes and this and that but like bringing the context to everybody of like this is how it really started. It was really like humble, like, and it really, you know, it was this little, the digital version's a little cleaner than the original version, but like, it's it's uh, in the sense that there's wasn't like a fly infestation or like maggots <laughs> falling out of the ceiling. Which is, <laughs> which That's is a true story. True story. <laughs> Somebody was like throwing trash on my back. Um, we didn't know it like all winter, like instead of taking the trash out, like just throwing trash bags onto the top of the back of the, because it was like a two story building and the trash was just piled up on the backside of my studio. That's the one story spot. No. And then it was like one night. Yeah. There was like, like there's like maggots falling in through the ceiling. And then like, this was just as the Gucci thing was happening. So like <laughs> then all these people from Gucci came like a week later and it was a, like, because they're like, okay, we're, we're about to do our first big launch in New York at Fifth Avenue. I did the whole exterior of the building and did this whole collection. And they all come with, like, their notepads and, like, getting planning and to meet with me. And they come in and there's, like, a fly infestation. Literally, like, thousands. I shouldn't even be telling like this. Like the exorcist. <laughs> this is gross. Dude, like, seriously? Like, they would go from one side of the room and be like, a swarm. A swarm. And I'm like... Uh, well, yeah. you get the Gucci people in Real there. juxtaposition of, like, that's, like, you know, my life. You should have like, had that digital swarm on the on We the actually version. did, but, it, <laughs> you Someone know what? Buy that we NFT. did. 
the first version of it, we put the flies in, and it's like digital flies are just as annoying as real oh, flies. They were. <laughs> yeah, so we we X them out of there. But um, yeah, it's a uh, it's a really unique piece. It's like uh, it's a one of one that houses three hundred eighty five one of one iconic Gucci Ghost pieces, objects, art. It's just the entire space, the entire time. The first Gucci Ghost costume. And that person that gets that one of one then can, you know, open up shop and go, okay, I'm going to sell if they please, or they can just dump it into their metaverse or whatever. Yeah, but they like, can keep it or sell it. Yeah. And if they wanted one. to sell it one by one, they can. And as it, those pieces sell, then they get removed from the space. And it'll be the final Gucci Ghost piece ever. Like, I'm not going to do, once this sells, I'm not going to do another Gucci Ghost piece just because, you know, it's a 10 year project. And I believe that, like, it's a moment to, again, showcase my bravery in believing in my other creative ideas. You know, I feel like this is a perfect moment that's like the project completion. I can't think of another progressive way to tell this story. And NFT is, to me, the most progressive medium um, to to utilize to tell that. So, like, I'm like, okay, this is a a perfect moment to do so. And it's just crazy, like, how Gucci Ghost has, like, gone from, like, music to film to fashion, brand, uh, installation, art shows. And, you know, now it's in the digital form and it's and it's preserved and will be there, you know, as long as... Is it already for sale? It's not yet. It's not yet. No. Do you know when that launch soon. is coming? Probably in the next, like, month or two. Wow. Because there's, like... We, I really want to like showcase the physical component to it and like rebuild the studio. And I have a VR component as well and an AR component. So there's like, so, like I'm really trying to um, bring in people to like the full experience of it and uh, share that and do like a big show. And that'll be my next show. That's cool. You know, I haven't really understood NFT, but your thing makes sense actually. Thanks. Which yeah. is really cool. Yeah, I think that there's space to like, um, you know, I think the NFT is going to play a role in in just business period, art period, any medium. I just feel like it's it's going to have its place in our life. And uh, I think that so far, I don't think that there's been so much connection to like actual physical things or f- stories or places in time. Whereas that's what I thought was really unique about this is to bring it and um and it be really connected to something that happened it really was something that like you know affected my life and affected the brand and affected like so much in the culture and it's just really a moment um and then to to give it new life and uh end it but it's almost like a new beginning for it you know it's it's totally yeah. This is a like we buds and I are always kind of like what the fuck's an NFT? <laughs> We've been trying but, to figure but, it out but, forever. Uh-huh. And like the fact that my uh, spatial brain understands it. Like for example, your studio is this. You can buy this. Uh, you can buy this thing off the wall, and then it's no longer there, and then you own it. And that all of a sudden, I'm like, okay, this shit, this makes sense. Starts to make sense. Yeah. And, yeah. No, there's got to be the bomb hold NFT. You yeah, know, we coming gotta, out that day. allows. <laughs> You know, access to even the the more cutty cutty stuff, where it's like, okay, like you're getting. There's, I mean, there's the so trash many behind the trash behind the desk. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
I, I'm curious about this. I've been wondering this. Excuse my ignorance that I don't know this, but like, so you said you had a, you had a desk at, at, uh, Gucci. Gucci. Was that just for a collection or are you, are you like full-time Gucci? Yeah, no, I'm not full-time. I've always been like an independent artist that collaborates with Gucci. I think the unique thing about it is that I'm the longest standing collaborator with Gucci to this day, you know, doing, you know, we found so many different ways to work together over the years, like, uh, you know, from physical to digital to art shows. And uh, I think the whole Gucci Goes project um, for me and for Gucci has been like something that is is taken new form and and uh, and opened both of our eyes uh, to so much. And so, you know, um, but yeah, like Gucci, you can still pull up and get a Gucci Ghost ring at the store right now, you know, which is pretty uh unique to like fashion world because things definitely are um changing rapidly and and of course for gucci as well it's always but it's it's a beautiful thing that i've i've found my place there and we have like a really unique marriage and and i think that nowadays like when i did what i did with gucci when it started i think it really showed not just gucci it showed the rest of the brands that you can find like a diamond in the rough. You don't always have to like go and get like the most like, Oh, it's all about just finding somebody that's authentically translating something that makes sense with your brand or personality. And like, that's all I was doing. It wasn't that, you know what I'm saying? It's just, uh, it was just honest. And, and, um, so I think that brands are now using that same formula and going, Oh, where can we find like, because we're all so connected now because of social media and technology, we have the ability to immediately reach somebody. So you as an artist or you could reach out to whoever and be like, yo, I have this idea. You know what I mean? Just the same way that back in the day when I was sending letters and being like, Oh, here's my drawing of like this thing. We should make this. It's like, you can immediately connect with that brand. Like, and they're most likely going to see it, you know? And, um, and if you take the steps to make the waves, on your own without them and you see they see that that what's happening then it's like oh then it almost like it forces them to almost work with you and that doesn't have to be for somebody else that could be for your own brand as well where it's just like you make those waves and then all of a sudden you got a big brand and you have a a, a, a business and you're you're making a living and providing off of something that you love to do you know if you had just conceptualized Gucci Ghost on paper and submitted it to him, it probably would have never happened. Right. But the fact you spent three years living it. Exactly. Yeah, like, it made it real easy for them to connect the dots. Yep. That's really cool. Yeah. Super good advice for artists to Yeah, to just go that. out and do it. Get it. Do don't it. don't wait for the check or don't, you know, like, make it about that. Just just um, just fall into that, uh, the love of the process. And, and I believe in that's a great formula. Just, just love the process, you know, and you'll get something back. That's enough to get you to the next spot and the next spot. Right. This is great advice for anybody. Yeah. Great advice for snowboarders. Fall in love with the process of, you know, enjoy it. That's yeah. God, that's good advice. When you were making that Halloween costume, I'm sure you never imagined it would 
end out the way it Not did. at all. I just didn't have a Halloween costume. Yeah, he needed a you know costume. what I mean? And I like left it the last second and I was stoked that I had a Halloween costume. I was like, this is pretty unique. Yeah, this is cool. And uh and yeah, it definitely sparked the next idea that got me to the next spot, you know? And uh yeah, I've been lucky with that. You know, in and my now you're life. ready to just start it all over again too. That's yeah. what's cool. And I already have. That's the funny thing, is like so many people ask me, Oh, you know, like what's next you know i'm like what's next has already happened like two years ago for me like i've been i have so many different projects that i'm really feel that excitement about that i know that this is just a great moment to to share to bring people into this other stuff that might connect in a different way and and it's all just significant to me because it's just how i spend my my days and it's it's what i put my my heart into that's cool. Fuck, that's super inspiring. Now, I've been curious about this the whole time because you date uh, Santi Gold, who is a creative like yourself. Married, 13 years. Married, have children, sorry. Yeah. My bad. I shouldn't yeah. marry. Past the dating uh, stuff. Yep, past <laughs> dating, past the first date. Now, uh, how is it dating? Like, I, I consider you guys both creatives, right? Yeah. And she's famous, does shows, and you have your own creative journey. Do you, do you foster each other's creativity? How do you find the balance and do you foster each other's creativity? Um, I think in moments for sure that we've we've um helped each other. I mean, I think as our peers do when you're creating something, you're trying to push yourself with something. But for the most part, like, you know, we are have really independent careers of each other and, and it's I'm like a big fan of hers, you know what I mean? And like so and I assume that she is a fan of mine, you know what I mean? So it's like, I think it's more like we allow each other, like we don't, I, I'm not trying to step in onto her turf. And I definitely, if she asks me my opinion about things or if I have an idea, we'll share. But it's like, it's more like she comes home with the, yo, check out this record. And I'm like, whoa, that's crazy, you know? And shout out to Santi Gold, actually, because she just dropped a, a new single yesterday. Her album may be out by the time this drops. Um, give her the super air horn. Yeah, yeah give her the super air horn because she that was crazy. And she recorded that all in. Uh, she recorded that in British Columbia um, in a cabin down from my house. She, we went out to um, to BC, kind of the first half of the pandemic. Um, I got an RV and drove my family out there and posted up in Squamish and reconnected with like my old squad, Browner, Kale, and Renz, Anthony Vitale, Sheen, and we were just riding. But when I would go up riding and I would be taking the kids, teaching them how to ride, she was going to her spot and just recording out in the woods, and she made this whole record um, called um, Spirituals. And, uh, yeah, really excited for that. It's amazing. She's got such a rad voice. I can't wait to hear it. Yeah, and she's just really the artist artist. You know, she's like, you know, just, uh, she's just so true to it. You know, I feel like she, like, that's probably why we connected so hard and have been together for so long is just that we, we see, uh, we put that much into the things that we love, you know? And it sounds like there's a big mutual respect. Oh, yeah, most awesome. definitely. It sounds so cool when you're just describing, uh, you're like, oh, I got to fly home tomorrow night because Santi's playing a show, like some massive show, and you 
bring the kids and hang yeah. out backstage and that's just I don't know. It just seems like a really cool family dynamic. Oh man, it's the best. It's the best to bring the kids into to what we are proud of and what we define ourselves with and um, share that with them. And um, yeah, tomorrow when I fly back, it'll be the first time that I bring my our twins to see Santi perform. They've never seen her perform. And um, my my oldest son, he was when he was really young, he was like out on the tour bus and. And all that, but uh, yeah, they're four, so this will be their first time. They'll probably like run out on stage, like, well, and it's crazy because they're always telling me, like, when they see us all rehearsing or doing anything, like, they just come out and naturally do it. Like, they will just, you know, they're like, when, when can I perform? You know, <laughs> and it's rad just to, it's like nobody's telling them, like, hey, like, soccer mom and it out, like, being like, yo, do this. We're just, I think they're just being exposed to so much and. And it's, um, yeah, they're finding their own voices at four and eight, you know? That's cool. It's pretty rad. There was a Patreon question earlier that was basically, Buds, what was that Patreon question? This is a Patreon question from Thomas McGrath. What has been the most rewarding experience in your life, snowboarding, creating art, or creating music? Um, having kids is definitely the the most rewarding uh, experience and creative um, but aside from that, like, I think it's all, uh, there's not one that's more significant as far as like snowboarding or skateboarding or, or snowboarding or art or any of it. It's like every one of those, um, things have given so much to me in my life and allowed me to like get to the next spot and believe in the next thing because i'm like you just did it with that you can do it with this you know and and yeah and then ultimately being a parent man and it's like dropping into that it's like you're all in and and uh and it's the best thing it's the most rewarding and the um thing that gives me back the most but it's also so awesome to share all those things with them that's such an amazing experience teaching your kids how to ride bringing them to the studio, bringing them to shows, having them hang out with the squad. Like, I mean, that's, that's, it's been, it's so beautiful and it's so, so hard to, to actually describe in a way of words that would do justice to how deeply I love that experience, you know? It must have been incredible having twins too, one boy and one girl. Yeah, it was wild. Pretty cool. Yeah. Definitely, like, almost fainted when Santi when told me. News. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we had just moved to L.A., and it was, like, kind of a crazy time, and I was like, wow. But, man, greatest thing that ever happened to me. You know, it's uh, cool. My observation from watching just you on the gram and stuff, it's like, you know, a lot of a lot of parents, it's like they have kids, and their kids are their fucking anchor. They're like, oh, we can't do anything. We can't go anywhere. We got kids. We got to, like, it's like, and when I look, and there's, like, a, there's like a parent, child role like it's very it's very obvious and then i when i'm on the gram i watch you hang out with your kids it's like you're just hanging out with your dogs you're just hanging out with your buddies yeah like it's like oh, there's just a couple facts. homies hanging out and that's what yeah. it's like, like they're no, fucking around trinkets sure. and shit. they're running around your studio fucking off it looks yeah. awesome no really they can hang for sure um and i'm so grateful for that and it's uh it's fun. It's just so fun. Like, like I said, like just to share those kind of things with them and, and to spend my time with them and them seeing me being all in the zone doing it's, it's really fun. We definitely just hang, you know, 
Well, another thing I got to ask too, because kids are so fucking creative. Like their imagination is so vivid and they draw oh, so much. Do you, do you, and they're so present. Are you able to pull any inspiration? From I, I'm so inspired by my kids art and the way that they think. And yeah, for sure. I think that the greatest artists often try to almost not replicate, but actually get into the real true freedom of that you have as a child like there's no you're not there's nothing that's like there's no preconceived anything it's like you just translate an idea in the purest honest no filtered way and like they do stuff all the time where i'm like i collect all their art like i have like an insane i'm like more bent on collecting their art than anything that i've like i have stacks and stacks and stacks of all their drawings and um and it's, it's, yeah, it's super inspiring. And, uh, and we've made pieces together. We've done stuff where they've like, definitely the way that they've approached something. And I'm like, oh, and by us doing something together, like I've painted at their school a few times and, and made some, some works with the kids. And, and like that process definitely reminds me of like how sometimes you just have to completely just like, not think and just go at it and and there's no right or wrong way to do it you know it's and uh yeah it's it's hard to um to cultivate that i think for a lot of people uh to just freely express yourself uh without like making it look like something or it's not influence it's just so that's an amazing, I think we're all born artists, you know, I think that we all, I think it's just over time we're, we're taught not to be artists, you know. I think there's some, that's such a great point. When you look at the greatest, some of the greatest snowboarders that have ever done it, or greatest artists, they almost appear to be childish. Like, it's like they're childlike in their approach. It's so fun yeah. and lighthearted. And I look at my friends, some of them I can watch you know, like friends that have an easy time, like connecting with kids, right? Connecting with kids, you have to, you have to be childish. Yeah. You have to be imaginative. You have to get down on the floor and roll around and not take yourself seriously and fuck yeah. around with the car and get yeah. on their level. And as we get into adulthood and we do our big serious job, we lose that. And it's like children bring back that presence that is so like that childish, like not taking yourself seriously that yeah. just life is fun. And yeah. And uh, I don't know, you can just learn so much from kids in that way. Oh, like. definitely. Like often kids, like many times I've been, you know, kids are like, are you a grown up? <laughs> Dude, that's, that's so good. Dude, yeah, that my brother's kid said the same thing. They consider me a kid. Right. Which, that's awesome. Yeah. That's a great thing. That's a big compliment. That mm -hmm. is a big compliment. But, like, I think about certain people, like, take, for example, like, Nicholas Mueller, like, when he's on a snowboard, uh -huh. or Gigi Ruff. Uh -huh. Like, they, it's, like, so fucking childish. Oh, like, Gigi, man, yeah, it's he's... Like, they're, like, they're just, like, big kids out there. Yeah. And, and it's, I don't know, I, I just, I see that, like, childlike passion in the way they approach the mountain with the creativity. Yeah, and imagination, yeah. Tanya Magoon and oh, Lucas yeah. Magoon have a kid, and... uh they they bring him everywhere, and I was and you know it was really good with them. Is obviously is Lucas, and Lucas is a big kid, and uh, Scott Blum loves winter, 
And I was asking Steffi, his his partner, I'm like, why do you think Blum is, is so good with kids? And she's like, she's from New Zealand, so she's got an accent. She's like, well, the kid's just like Scott. Scott's just a big kid. They're on the same <laughs> level. I'm like, fucking there it is. That's why they connect. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, first, let's talk about pub beer. It's really it. good. It's tasty. You enjoy it? Yeah. I'm, Trevor's I'm been hammering them. It's nice. Pounded them all. I've only had one. Just one. Point five. <laughs> <laughs> so, as we like to say, how is that, bud? It's cheap, fun, and delicious. Good. Nice. If you're planning on having uh, one or two beers responsibly or drinking uh, 49 beers, blacking out, uh, ending up face down a snowbank, what are you going to choose, bud? Every time, pub beer. Great fucking choice. Okay, uh, I'm going to play the theme song real quick. Welcome to the pub beer crap shoot. All right, you got to roll these dice. Two of them. We'll tell you what you got to do. You standing up to roll them for the listeners that can't see. This is a guy who's played some CeeLo over here. Yeah. <laughs> he's, get, he's getting his dice hand ready. He's getting all serious. He's got his game serious. face on. Uh, six, what was the name on your fake ID? Hmm. I can't even remember if I had a fake ID, to be honest. I think I could just get in. I was, uh, I don't think I had a fake ID. That's dope. All right, well, then we're going to default to the next question. Who's one of your favorite people to party with? One of my favorite people to party with. Um, Drew Toons. Drew Tunes, if you've ever seen No Work City, Drew Tunes, Emo Cat, um, you should definitely check him out. He's like one of my besties. Uh, we got an animated series called No Work City, and the guy's a genius, and he can definitely turn up and, and have fun, and we jam, and uh, yeah. My question to you is, is how do you maintain authenticity while still working with bigger brands and things right. like that. Well, for me, I mean, I've never had a problem working with bigger brands just because I believe it allows me to to live my life as an artist, which I don't think there's anything corny about that. I think everybody's a little bit corny. It's hard to not be able to, Everybody's got a corny moment. But as far as, like, working with big brands and stuff, it's only allowed me to bring my art to the surface. I'd be doing it whether it was on the floor or to the ceiling like it doesn't matter like i'm gonna keep doing it but i think if you you know say no to the things that don't actually resonate with you i've had lots of amazing offers to do things that you know that i could probably do a good job at but just didn't seem like it aligned i just say no you know and uh and to pick the ones that that come naturally and that are like wow i'm really a fan of this i really there's something about this person or this brand or this this gallery or whatever it is like that aligns with me or maybe it's just somebody that i just really like like i've had situations with i've done things with people it's just based off like i like you and it's like not necessarily the 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 greatest business scenario but it's like we make something magical out of just enjoying spending the time you know and i think that that's where we've all got a lot of joy and and i think that that's what i learned a lot through just my years of snowboarding is like yeah we're out there doing a job and yes we're 
you know, supported by corporations, but we were also spending all this time together making friendships that last a lifetime, you know, people you see that you haven't seen forever and you reconnect with. And it's like you pick up like it's yesterday because you're coming from such a special, unique place of like those times you did spend are so valuable to us. And so I think that it's just about that, man. That's what it really comes down to because that's what you're really left with at the end. It's like, man, it's it's all that the um, that quality experience and, and time spent with people that you want to spend time with. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, you're working – you end up working with your dream people and you get to be authentic and you get to meet two chains and, and it all comes from you – saying yes to the ones that are right and no to the ones that aren't. And yeah. I think that's, that's probably good advice too. It's like I, the bigger you get, the better you probably have to get at saying no to things. Yeah, so for sure. Oh yeah. You got to, you got to know what's, what's right for you. But then again, like I said, like most of the great things that I've done, um, collaboration wise have always come out of like a real situation where it's like somebody like we, we've had some kind of communication that's allowed us to, um, I don't know, feel it out or like the Ari situation where yeah, it's like, 100%, the, yeah. it's like connecting those dots and it just feels right. When it feels right, you just know it is and you just go for it. You know? I don't know if, if two chains called me up, I would not say no. Right. Right. Yeah. But there's also, Especially some, when you heard that album too. Yeah. hundred yeah, percent. And I think about that even as, as young, a young snowboard kid too, right? Like there's something with that authentic connection too. Cause there's a lot of kids that, you know, are really good that maybe live in a remote area, but they haven't met the right person that when they meet the right person in person and ride with them and meet them and they're cool and they have that connection, that authentic connection, then they're going to get on the brand, you know? But if yeah. you live in the middle of bumfuck nowhere and you're doing all these phenomenal maneuvers, but you don't actually know anybody, it's going to be, it's 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 like until you, the, the, the human connection is a huge part of, I don't want to, success Everything, is such a really. shitty word, yeah. but it's like. Or, you know, that again, but nowadays you do have the digital connection. So true. you could just DM someone and be like, yo. Good point. And send them a heartfelt message and be like, hey, check out my part, man, you know, or whatever. And it's like. It's a good point. I check my, I'm checking my shit all the time. And a lot of people that I've worked with over the years have not always been from like, they're already established. It's like somebody that I just already know. Like, first of all, I'm like, okay, I dig your vibe, but I see your work and I'm down. I think we can help each other. Let's go, you know. And I think that that opportunity is always there. And it's just a matter of you got to be relentless and sometimes bang people's doors down and uh, not be too annoying, but just, you know. Yeah, you no, can't I, just send one message. And a lot of yeah, people, a lot of people yeah, yeah, are exactly. Yeah, he exactly. didn't hit me back. I sent him one message. Yep. Like, Dude probably has a I, million I followers. In snowboarding, yep. a lot of times people are waiting around for their phone to ring. They're just waiting yeah. for their phone to ring. You know, it's like that ain't it. And that, that's your message. If no, not. in life in general, no, it's not going to happen that way. No. You got to go out and, and really get, make it happen. So I know you got your finger on the pulse of art and that whole world, which is a little unfamiliar to me and Buds, but who's who do you got on the up-and-coming? Who's like the up-and-coming hitters, in, in your opinion? In, uh, well, in 
I guess a different few different mediums of art. I would say that um, uh, starting with music, I've been listening to um, an artist by the name of Alex Sucks. It's really dope. He actually brought me out of almost like retirement of doing shows. And when he hit me up to do a show recently, I was like a fan of his music already. So it, I was like, you know, I'm going to do this show and, and, uh, been listening to him a lot. Alex sucks. Um, Nate, no face, another great artist. Idris, my sister, Maggie, Andrew, AKA Jory. Uh, and then as far as visual art, um, I've definitely been, like, I think there's some really cool stuff happening in the digital space, but just, like, on the other side of that, like, Nina Chanel's, like, an amazing artist. I wouldn't even say she's up and coming. She's already, like, established and killing it. I love her work. And she's doing, like, a lot of collaborative stuff and, and which brand stuff, which I think is fun to see. Uh, an artist by the name of uh, James Concannon. You can find him at James Concannon Art. Somebody I've collaborated with recently, and uh, really, he's just a great guy. Amazing, like, real just true artist on so many levels, musically and, and visually and fashion and everything. He's, like, done a lot of really cool stuff. Drew Tunes, as I mentioned before. I mean, he's, like... Aside from his animation skills, an amazing painter. Yeah, if I think of any... I know there's more. Oh, Jalil Nzinga, um, another one of my friends that I've collaborated with over the years, um, musically, and um, he's doing like a lot of interesting paintings right now. Solid, yeah, good music and visual art, Rex. Love it. Uh, we're going to get into a section of the show we call Hot Takes. So this is kind of... Uh, yeah, this is we're kind of pivoting back to snowboarding. So uh, we're going to run through the Michael Jordan and or goat of snowboarding, both male and female. Mm -hmm. who, who you got? There's definitely a few goats out there, man. Uh, but Craig Kelly would be my goat, you know? Like even my own signature is actually because I used to fake write um, – like I had this board with the world poster and I like signed it to myself from Craig Kelly. So I used to like practice his signature and like my own signature is now like very close to like a Craig Kelly signature because I just was always like forging Craig Kelly signed objects to myself because I didn't get to meet him. <laughs> You're writing them to yourself. <laughs> board yeah. with the world was sick. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but for real, I, I got to get that poster from my mom's storage someday. It's like, it was like to Trevor, <laughs> from Craig Kelly, you know, and I like perfectly did his did signature. That's so cool. I can do it perfect right now. Um, uh, Female goat too. From my perspective um, and just my time and experience in it, I would say the goat would be Teradakitis, man. I mean, I spent time with her. I seen her do crazy ash, like just really pushing the sport forward. And I guess that that's what it's all about is just like, that's what is goat defining is when you're like leveling up the whole shit. And mm -hmm. I seen her level it up like in front of my eyes. And uh, so therefore I'd have to give her that goat status. 
Great answer. The Gucci goat stamp of approval. The Gucci yeah, goat. Gucci goat. <laughs> Gucci goated. Uh, she's Gucci goated. Who's the most underrated? For me, that is like on some goat shit is definitely like Roan Rogers. You know, Roan Rogers to me like brought so much. Um, and maybe that's like he already is goaded because anybody that was there in that time already knows. But like maybe. It just needs to be said. He, he's, he he's, doesn't really get the shine he deserves. He's one of the goats. He's yeah. one of you know. He's definitely one of the greatest of all time. Um, again, brought like a whole level up, uh, and just style like to the game that um, affected my life. So he's he's a goat in my eyes. Okay, who's uh, who's got the best style ever? Best style ever. Mm, maybe Jamie Lynn. You know, Great Jamie answer. Lynn's definitely one of my favorites. Favorite board graphic ever. Favorite board graphic would have to be the brushy fish um, or the, uh, well, you know what? Like, eat <coughs> super into the, um, the early LibTech flower tops. I, I wrote a lot of the season last year on a Radical Rick, which is also another one. I mean, there's I got a pretty mean collection going these days. Like, I'm so... Snowboard graphics, skateboard graphics, it's like it's everything. Oh, Mickey Albin, um, Mark Gonzalez graphic is pretty hard, too. That's a good one. We haven't, yeah. we haven't got that one, actually. People don't Those are all good that. ones. Um, okay, if you go heliboarding with three people in the world, you're going for good times, just ripping pow. Who are you taking? Where are you going? Not where are you going, but just who are you taking? Who's in the heli? Uh, I guess it was only three people in the heli. I'd be taking uh, Deuce. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be trying to get him out. Uh, Make I'd, that happen. I'd have to take Deuce because that's my OG. Kale. Kale Stevens, um, Al Clark. Sounds like a good heli right there. Yeah. Deuce would be living it up in there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Deuce knows how to set it off. Okay. Um, worst trend. What do you got? Hating on things. That would probably be the worst trend. Good answer. Great fucking answer. Okay, we're going to take a quick break and talk to you guys about Granite Towers Equity Group. It's Dan Breezy's company. He was episode 71 of the bomb hole. He's a friend of the show. And if you're looking to invest some money, he's got a great company for you. So here's a couple words from Dan. What's up, everybody? Dan Breezy here with Granite Towers Equity Group here to talk to you a little bit about investing. During my snowboarding career, I made some pretty stupid investments and put a lot of my money in IRAs and life insurance policies, and I soon realized these investments were not going to move the needle. So in 2017, we founded Granite Towers Equity Group, where we buy multifamily apartments. We come in and add value to every deal we buy by upgrading the property's interior and exterior, and you can invest right alongside us. You don't have to go out and learn it all and manage your deals and become a professional investor. 
We've raised just under $100 million in equity and have 2,100 units under management in the Dallas, Texas, and Nashville, Tennessee market. And we invest in every deal we buy. Every single deal will have skin in the game. So direct message me today on Instagram to learn more. My Instagram name is at Dan Breezy. That's at D-A-N-B-R-I-S-S-E. Or send me an email, dan at granitetowersequitygroup.com. Thanks. All right, we're going to take a quick break and talk to you guys about Slow Tide. Now, Slow Tide is a towel slash blanket company. They make all kinds of cool stuff. We just launched a collaboration towel and beach blanket with them. It's a quick drying microfiber towel. It's kind of hitting. It's a great gift, birthday present. You can find that on bombhole.com as well as their website. Uh, they also make all kinds of other cool stuff. You know, one thing I got to talk about, my favorite personal thing that I got from them was the changing poncho. Now, this thing's great if you're down at the beach. Maybe you're surfing. You got to get out of your wetsuit. You got to go dong out for a second. You get a poncho. You can change wherever you want. Parking lot, on the beach. Uh, they got all kinds of cool collaborations. with Grateful Dead. They got a Coors beer can towel. They got an Alex Olsen 917 towel. All kinds of really cool stuff. They got Turkish blankets. Um, so head on over to slowtide.co. Again, that's slowtide.co and use promo code BOMBHOLE, one word. Again, promo code BOMBHOLE for 20% off. Get yourself some great goodies at slowtide.co. So, um, you know, talking about best graphic ever, I know that you're kind of a bit of a board collector. And, yeah, uh, got a couple. Let's, let's talk, let's talk board collection. What do we got here? Yeah, I should have grabbed a book out there because that would help me. But off top, what I got, um, got some, definitely got some gems. My mom helped me collect because she's, uh, she is, she knew what to look out for. But I got the, um, I got the Palmer Clown board. I got the Luxury Rolex board. That's a rare one. A lot of people don't know about that. I spent, I rode last season on a, Matt Cummins, uh, Radical Rick, LibTech, um, Flower Top. Really love those kink boards. Super rad. Um, I got a Barfoot Freestyle, Sim Switchblade. One of my f- that was my first pro board after I sold my Edge, and I bought my next board, and it was a Sim Switchblade One Sixty Two, and I was like nine. On a 162. <laughs> yeah. I had to like tape, I had to like duct tape like socks to my um, hiking boots so that I could fit into the bindings. Wow. And uh, that's incredible. That's incredible. I got that one. I got a look um, Lamar freestyle mm. um, uh, trick stick. Trick stick. Mini on no screws in it. Super like one of my favorites. Uh, Sims um, freestyle. Like the red one with the stripes, Burton Cruiser, Craig Kelly first. Not the mic, not the um, mystery air, which I really want to get one of the mystery airs. Mystery air would be dope. Yeah. Um, you got a Tarquin? I don't have a Tarquin. I should have a Tarquin. Definitely. Yeah, you need to get one of those ordered up. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy now because people know what's up now. Yeah. Whereas I used to collect these things when it was almost like people would be throwing them out. You know what I mean? Yeah. People yeah. will buy up all the Burtons and this and that. They weren't looking for the Tarquins, and now they know. They're yeah, no, exactly. Getting the cool boards. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
but uh, I got a couple plugs, so you know I could probably hit up some people and find. I definitely got to find one. I got to get back anytime I go back to Canada because that's where my collection is for the most part. I've got a few of the boards in my house, like those that Trick Stick, the Craig Kelly, the Brushy Fish, um, my first board, the Black Snow Edge. I've got all those in my office in in L.A. But um, but yeah, every time I go back, I like really get into the zone of like collecting and searching and going to like this, my little spots where I know I can kind of come up on some things and call on my plugs. <laughs> Do you mount them with the base out, base facing out, or top sheet facing? Uh, it's out? usually top sheet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mostly the top sheets have the the cooler art. I think right. I, I see. I've always been. A, you go base out. I, I go like I'm office. like I, when I think of a snowboard graphic, I think of the base. Yeah. Cause you were just a kid watching it. I think of like when I actually when I would design pro models, I actually really didn't give a shit about the top sheet. Really? I'm like, how's this gonna look on like a on a step down photo? Like uh-huh. you know, how's it gonna look from thirty feet away? Or how's it gonna look like underneath with a fisheye? See, shops always present them top sheet out. Yeah. No, that's so dope. you might have that been losing sense. some sales. Because of that, <laughs> yeah, they we were on like they started off strong, yeah. and then they were on a they. I, did, I think they that did could have been part of it. Yeah, I just think a top sheet being clean is good, you know. But I think it's like it's got to be like the I like the ones that are like memorable, like the um, you know, Turier sword or something. Like yeah, you just can see it a, so far away. You're I, like, I know I, what that. I is. should have one of those too. Yeah, that's a good collector's piece, right? Yeah, there. little fun fact: Deuce right? has got that tat. Oh, he does. Yeah, that's classic. Yeah, um, little fun fact. I actually hit Trevor up to do one of my board graphics, like one of my last pro model years. You couldn't afford really? it? Really? His response was, uh, these snowboard companies so cheap these days. <laughs> <Over tax. laughs> I believe I said that. <laughs> <laughs> Dang, that definitely came out of my mouth. <laughs> it was a shot in the dark. I was like, I haven't talked to Trevor in a few years. I'll fire off a text, see how this goes. That's was this pre Gucci Ghost or mm, this is like pre brand probably pre like you're probably making it but I don't know maybe for five years ago or something yeah I was so probably, I was probably in it I was yeah. probably but maybe pre the brand yeah, yeah and just being on some art shit wow I love that well what do you uh, we always ask our guest setups what are you currently riding uh, currently riding. Um, the last time I went out, I was at Big Bear, and I was riding the Russell Winfield Virgil board, which is so fun. And I, I was got, like, I'm I not going to ride my office. it. Thank you, Ride, for sending that. Yeah. I forgot to thank them. Yeah, I was super hyped to get that one, and um, and I wasn't going to ride it. But then I was like, I went up to to Big Bear and was, was shredding with everyone, and I was like, oh, I'm gonna pull up on the the Russell board, and it was so fun. I had so much fun. And then, what are you doing? Uh, boots bindings, boots and bindings. I'm riding like some like 15 year old Burton boots. Uh, they're oh, what are they? Somebody like called me out on Instagram recently. And was like, because I wouldn't even imagine anybody would even know. They're like, damn, like get some new boots. Like those are like 15 years old. Um, what are they? They're I can't remember. They're like camouflage Burton boots. You just like them better? They're just so cushy yeah, and so perfect. perfect, you know, that it's just like I get into them. I also have a pair, a couple pairs of um, Nike. Uh, Kaiju? The the red and blue, just like Air Force or, or 
dunk looking ones. Oh yeah. You know, which are one of the best boots I've ever ridden. I know they're not making them anymore and they're like, so I kind of rotate in Cali. I got the Burton ones and, and on the West on in BC in my closet, I've got the Nikes and I've just been riding old gear. And I even, like I said, I've been riding, uh, a lot of different, you know, I'll ride some new boards, but I've been getting really into just riding old boards and going back and just getting stoked to like ride that one that I always wanted to ride that I couldn't or something because I was riding for somebody else or whatever. That's dope. You said something interesting uh, off air earlier, kind of talking about, you're talking about like filming video parts and how Mikey LeBlanc's been out there filming clips and you were talking about how you want to film some clips. Yeah. But then you're like, I haven't been filming and I think I've been snowboarding I don't want to say better, but in a, with a different approach. Do you want to elaborate on that? Yeah, I mean, last season being up in BC and and just going to all the spots that I used to snowmobile when we would go out to like build a jump and find a zone and make something happen. It was just crazy to like go out into those same places and just be riding spots that it's like I almost never knew they were there because the mission was different, you know, and like. This time it was just go out and just ride down the spots with the homies and hit the mini natural half pipes and just shred pow and and it just really reminded me like how important snowboarding is to me and like how you know when I was on the east coast living in New York for like 16 years it's just I would get my few little trips but I wasn't out there like consistently with any of the crew or anything so like it obviously was awesome to get out but this just really reminded me of like how important and how much of a part of my life it is and 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 whether it's like a part of my career or not it's like something that I have to find a way to be able to do and uh but being out there consistently also you know that that flame started getting bigger as far as like, oh, I, I could go do that or I could do this or like, yo, that would be a sick quarter pipe and like us actually shaping a quarter pipe at the end of the season and then, you know, going and, and getting a shot on it. And then I was like, damn, like it would be fun just to just to get out and, and film some of the stuff because that part of it also like sparks a bit of energy to like push yourself and and, and capture that moment and share it and preserve it and – so maybe, yeah, maybe next season, you know. I might even go up to BC like next week because my buddy sent me a picture of a quarter pipe and I was like, oh, dude, I got to come hit that. Like I got that itch again, you know. Is it the Brome Ridge? No, know. it's not Brome Ridge, but that would be insane to like rebuild that thing and, and go for that. But uh, no, it was actually down in like Seymour in the woods somewhere. Oh, yeah, Seymour's got all kinds of little transition sick to know that kale and browner are still out there sledding oh dude and and kale man like i should have said him as far as underrated man like honestly like kale is one of the dudes that like he's still out there throwing down like gnarly and it's he's just doing it just to be gnarly and like just because he loves it yeah just because he loves it and he's just living it and and i just love his approach he's like such a Bowling ball, you know, a <laughs> bowling ball, <laughs> and he gets after on the sled too. Yeah. Oh, he, he gets gotta a, slap he just, some respect on. Yeah, and he's about to be a dad, and he's like, I know that he's gonna be an amazing dad. He's gonna be such an amazing dad. Let's give him. Does uh, Santa Gold shred? 
um yeah santi she uh she that was one of our uh aside from like just bands and talking about music like the things that we talked about doing and and shared together was like she loved snowboarding sick she loved snowboarding and um she probably doesn't get out as much as she should but like every time she does she's always like oh my god i love snowboarding like i brought her up sledding last year with me and anthony and kale and everyone we went up yeah she did some some backcountry shred and and just to be out there she felt it and uh yeah hopefully we get some more riding in this year and now that our kids are riding it's like they're at that age now yeah to share that as a family like that's the dream you know and i'm talking to jeff about getting up to um the lodge and like getting the family up there one day like just Seeing my friends ride with their children, that's, like, such a goal for me is to, like, have that just, oh, we're just riding, just cruising. And, At yeah. what age do you think they're going to learn how to make twists? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. Oh, who knows? I, I wonder what know. the youngest McTwist is. Youngest. That could be another, <laughs> another like, thing going right. on. <laughs> There's going to be some three-year-old just nailing them on these little quarter pipes. <laughs> yeah. Um, who knows, man? But I'm How's sure they'll Santi's get after looking? Is that thing she she's got like more of a Kier <laughs> yeah, style, or is it more like a is it more like a Trevor? Or how's her? What's her? She could yeah. Would, she got moves. She got one eighties or anything. She yeah. She do can do hit a couple little jumps. Yep. Dope. That's so yeah. Cool. And if she really spent the time, she would be sick. She yeah, would. that's the thing. It's all just putting in the time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting going back to the the just. Uh, nineteen. What is it? Twenty sixty four. When we're we gonna do the world's oldest McTwist? The world's oldest, oldest, and the world's youngest. Damn, is that when it's happening? Twenty sixty four. Just yeah. uh, can you just imagine a bunch of just like dudes with fucked up hips, like <laughs> just wrinkly as hell, like hobbling up there. Those new hips are just nice, to though, drop so the drop know. the shoulder on a Mickey and just fucking yeah, a little like kind of corner. Yeah, cor- uh, little small. a ten foot maybe. Like yeah, some, I was even thinking like five foot by the <laughs> yeah. time it's 80 something <laughs> it's doable though mickey under the lip it's doable you see videos viral videos all the time like grandpa like out on the bmx or like on the skateboard you know yep skateboard you gotta yeah we gotta be able to do this forever man i keep going back to that craig quote which i shared off air with you because yep. you were just talking about how it describes your um your your new kind of approach to snowboarding, you're seeing different things and you're really like appreciating it. And, and when you film, you, you don't always appreciate it. You're like, I got to fucking do a 900 on this jump. But you're like, not necessarily like loving the pow turns all day, you know? Well, yeah. Cause you're just, you're, there's like an agenda. Yeah. It's like when you go out there with no agenda and you're just like, Oh, okay, we're going to do it. Then you find that pure, moment of like the, the real intention of not to say the other stuff is it's so important because it's pushing everything forward mm-hmm. but it's just different totally and it's it's like the there's no expectation and when you don't have expectation you can't be disappointed yeah and when you film you have an expectation yeah and when you don't meet that expectation you're either you're on a clip high which is like doing drugs and you feel great about that or you're basically like fucking down in the dumps because you didn't get your shit. Did you, did you experience clip, clip high when you're, you know, we talk about it on the show, but like, like these extreme highs when you, when you land a banger? Oh, yeah, for sure. Definitely. Um, 
that Brom Ridge McTwist definitely must have been. Some yeah, that was like I watched that today. Chasing just, the clip high every year, you know. Yeah. And I guess I'm still chasing that clip high in one way or another. Through where the it's new like, projects, huh? yeah, new projects, and them hitting the world. It's kind of like that same thing where you're like, oh, I got that one, I got that one, and and it's, you know, it's it can um, feel like that in a way, but uh, yeah, like. I've been lucky to to see snowboarding from that like come back to it and 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 not have to put that chase on it where it's like now I'm chasing the feeling of just the raw go out like I've got to get back there and we've got to like go rip that run again and you know it's nice to share this stuff though I definitely love filming and I think that I've always been even as a kid like was always trying to like my brother actually was the one that he first got a video camera and and I've been transferring all these tapes from our childhood but like I'd always be like you know trying to get him to film me to do like my first handrail or whatever you know and um just to document it's such a uh, I guess it's such a big part of our lives now because we're on our phones all the time we're documenting everything so it's become like uh an everyday Thing. So we keep referring to this Craig Kelly uh, quote, and I haven't been able to find it because I this place is a fucking disaster. So we just ripped it off the wall because I couldn't read it. So uh, this is Craig Kelly's quote in regards to kind of what we're talking about. While I will always have the utmost respect for the superhuman, out-of-bounds freestyle and extreme stunts that seem to continually progress beyond our imaginal, imaginable limits, my highest appreciation goes out to the simple rider who's out there just for the experience, Craig Kelly. Mm. And it's like, as it later in your career, you find, I, I found that later. Well, you find it early. You find it early. And yeah. Then yeah. You find it later. You kind of yeah. lose yeah. it, but you chase the clip high. Yeah. Cause I've been thinking it's about the clip high for the past fucking 30 years. But right. the layman, they just find it the whole time. No, the exactly. Trying yeah. to be pro, you know, they yeah. just mm -hmm. love snowboarding. Yeah, exactly. That, that pure, Having a couple of friends you're shredding with and the experience and the journey and yeah. traveling. And, like, who started snowboarding and stopped snowboarding? Not many people. You know, it's like I think most people, they Some start. Some take a break. They, yeah, yeah, for sure. But I think even the, the person that doesn't get to snowboard that often, I've got lots of friends that just purely love it, and it, the chance that they do get to, it's such a, a big moment. You know, it's like they, they truly love and I think that we've all been really lucky to to have it and, and then maybe later down the line look back and go, this is important for so many different reasons and it's not about just the clip high, it's about just what snowboarding's brought to us and just the simple just going snowboarding and sliding down the hill. For me, like this winter, that was my winter. I was like dropping my kids off at school and burning up to Mount Baldy, and there's, like, not really any features there, and it was just me riding by myself, doing, like, six runs, and just going fast and riding and just having the air blowing. Yeah, you know, sometimes if you're not doing tricks, just riding fast is awesome. And just riding, yeah. and just riding, and, just, yeah. and actually just being on the lift and being, like, listening to the lift and, like, having that experience again. Yeah, I totally, I have this just whole new appreciation for it. But, again, it's then those flames 
happened too, yeah. where you're like, oh, I want to get a shot of this. Yeah, exactly. I wish somebody was here to film me hand plan on yeah, this. Right. <laughs> like, chasing the dragon. You're chasing yeah, the dragon. Yeah. Uh, I love it. Um, well, you've been, and, and one more thing before we wrap this thing up too, is like, you've been making music again. How's yep. that, how's that experience been getting back on stage? Oh man, like making the music again and, and doing shows again is like, again, like coming at it from a different, like my friend that I respect, you know, younger guys that are making music that I feel like their scene is something that didn't really exist in the moment that I was doing what I was doing, um, creating and, to have them reach out and say, hey, let's do something. I was like, I felt obligated, but in a way that like I knew that I didn't have to do it. I, I was like, you know what? I'll just make you guys a flyer. And, and I didn't promote it. And I went out and I did the show. And it was so refreshing because it just, it reminded me. I was like, yo, this is dishonest for you not to do this. Like whether it's a part of your career or not, it's like it's a really a part of the way that you express yourself and you should do this once in a while when you feel like it. Whereas like back in the day when I was doing it, there was some moments where I felt like everything was riding on that show or that thing that I was, because I was like, I want to have a career in this. This is something I love doing. But like to take, take a step back from it and then come back to it with this like, I don't have to do this. I'm doing this because I totally just want to do this. And like, that's just brought me like a whole new excitement in the same way with like snowboarding last season. It's like the same thing where I'm like, I just want to do this. Like, and, uh, and I'll do it when I feel like it and when it's the right fit and I'm not going to go out there and force anything, but definitely like low key have been recording music for the past couple of years that nobody's heard. And, um, so yeah, we'll see, you know, we got an album release uh north star date potential no no date but there's definitely like a couple albums in the vault you know Woo! nice yeah there's even a country record in there oh, holy wow. shit yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you changed yeah. the twang of your voice at all for that or no <laughs> not really oh, just, this, yeah. um just definitely got some more like <coughs> you know digging into the my childhood and a different like the influences that were there that i didn't really know that were influencing me and musically and um yeah it's all it's all me you know amazing well what's next for trevor andrew next uh well get back to the kids you know and and take them to the show tomorrow but um aside from that just get into the studio and uh throwing the paint around and chopping it up and just waiting for that next um idea to land you know it's like even the nft last year like that happened i was on the uh, top of the mountain i remember specifically the moment i was doubling with kale we were going up from like the most epic run of my life like just power run in the secret spot and like that idea just like i my mind had the i like freed up space because i was just like in this so I just do that, look for that, try to create that by just hanging out and having fun. Well said. That's beautiful. Now I got to ask this last question, and it's maybe it's corny, maybe it's not, but I'm genuinely curious. So you're a person who's lived a very unique and inspiring life from 
professional snowboarding to making music, art. You've carved your own lane. You got a beautiful family. Seems like you just you have a great life. Um, do you have any advice on how to how to live a good life? Like, what's the key? Yeah. Um, well, again, I think the key to to living a great life and being happy is is to identify the the moments in your life that make you happy and and then try to you know build around that and you know I've always just the things I've lost time doing that I'm like I spend a whole day and the day will just pass and I'm like wow that is what I need to be doing that's always the 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 um road to like happiness i think it's just identifying those moments that that um you lose track of time and and that you're having fun and and build around that find a way to build a business around that find a way to um spend your time just doing something that makes you happy i think that everybody can find that it's just you got to be a little bit um it, it takes some bravery you know but if you feel it, then that's real, you know? I think that that's the, the key is, like, if you feel something, then that's most likely uh, a, a road to happiness and success, and um, that's what I've always followed. You know what I like about what you're saying? We just sat in this booth for four hours in and out, and it feels like 20 minutes, you know? Right. I can sit and talk forever. Yeah. <laughs> so that's dope. I love hearing that. Yep. I had a day like that actually up at Baldy maybe two years ago. It was one of those, it pissed rain in LA and it like dumped. And it was, we were all, I went up to Baldy. I just kind of like, it was, I think it might have been my first day up there. I went up with a friend, ran into Pat Bridges, ran into Adam Moran. Uh, who else is there? It was like a just couple. Just randomly, huh? Random. In the line. Old heads. And we're just chopping it up, talking about snowboarding, talking about everything. And um, four hours later, the lift opened. And we had been standing there waiting to get on a lift for four hours, talking with each other. Got on the lift, did two epic runs, and then the lift broke. And it was like, <laughs> oh, peace. <damn>. But, it, <laughs> but it was so worth it. You yeah, know? yeah. And it was like another gift from snowboarding. Yeah, you know? those it was interactions. Like, just hanging out, waiting for it, and it was like we were so dedicated and to getting up. And um, what's sick too is Moran probably didn't go with Pat either. You all three just ran into each uh, other. Yeah, it, <laughs> it was, and there was some others too. It was, it was amazing. That's uh, that's awesome. Yeah. Well, Trevor, uh, I want, really want to say thank you so much for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. Oh, thanks for having me. Really, it's an honor, and I'm I'm so proud of you guys. What you guys have built and um how you're sharing everybody's story it's so important before we get out of here uh one last thing do you want to throw out any thank yous to anybody that's helped you along the way oh whatever? sure yeah um well thanks to my mom thanks to my uh you know my my brother my sister my younger brothers my whole family anybody that's been encouraging and supporting to me in my life and um shared this experience of life, my wife, my children, um, John Swinemer, 
one of the first dudes that, you know, took me around. Greg Blemings, Jeremy, Deuce, Jason O'Reilly, all the guys at Pro Skates, um, you know, uh, so many people to thank. Anybody that's ever believed in me and supported me um, and helped me believe in myself and, and carry on this journey, uh, I love you so much. And um, big up yourself. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show, Trevor. Thanks for everything you've done for the sport on and off the board. Thank you to our sponsors. Thank you to our Patreon members. And thank you to everybody that is tuning in and listening to this yeah. show. We really, really appreciate you guys. And we will see you thank next you. week. And thanks for coming on the show, no, Trevor. Thank you guys. Really an honor. I'm stoked. Stoked to be here. Well, we're hyped. We'll see you guys next week over and out from the bomb hole. <laughs>